0: Welcome to First Time Through,
1: New Eyes on Castle Rock,
0: with Kim Payne
1: and Otto Mullins. (laughs) I'm just saying, though, I'm pretty sure this is going to be my favorite Stephen King book already. I love this book so much. It's so cool and so interesting. It's so well written and it's so great. Um, I'm interesting because I am reading the updated version, which he like re-edited and mm-hmm. rewrote a little bit in like 2003.
0: I read that one too.
1: Yeah. Um, so I'm curious. I kind of want to like, now I do have the original like 80s uh, copy too, that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm going to go back and reread it because I'm curious like see like what the differences are because you said it's much richer in the 2003 version. It is.
0: It is. Um, the the original version he started writing you know, when he was in college and he, it wasn't a fully formed world yet. And so when he went back and, and expanded on it in the the mid and late eighties, um, it's like it all kind of gelled. So he's like, well, now I need to go back and make the origin of that world match. And so, you know, it's not, there's not, huge changes in the story he just uses quite richer adjectives he it's it's more descriptive you can you actually feel more like you're in the world in the updated version than in the
1: well, even in the introduction of the updated version, he makes fun of his own writing. and mm-hmm. Like, the way he used to aggressively use adverbs and the such. So I think it's uh-huh. interesting uh, that you say that that's one of the ways he made it richer while he's also, like, acknowledging, like, I was not good at this when I was 19. Right. Um, but, uh, anyways, welcome to First Time Through. I'm your host, Otto Mullins.
0: And I'm Kim Bain.
1: And this is my first time through The Gunslinger, the Dark Tower, the first one of the Dark Tower series, uh... If you're new here to New Eyes on Castle Rock, this is a podcast where we catalog and chronicle my journeys through Stephen King's incredible chronicles
0: that's yes there's a lot (laughs) all you have to say is yep (laughs) and uh just so you're aware we are not going to go directly to the dark tower no we're gonna read this one and we're gonna read some other things and then we'll come back to the
1: quest Uh, um, our goal like for me one of the biggest things that i want to do is make sure that because i am you know of the era now where binging content is the way that i consume things so you know i'm used to You know, I've watched six and a half seasons of Brooklyn Nine-Nine now in two weeks just because I love that show so much, and it's like I can just watch all of it in a row. So I know I'm the type of person where if I fall in love with The Dark Tower as much as I already am, I wouldn't be able to stop reading all of them. So forcing myself to not read them one right after another, right after another, I think I'm really going to be able to digest them in a more similar way that actual Stephen King fans would have been digesting them when they were coming out. Yes. Except that you wanna, will
0: not have to wait nearly that nearly long. Nearly as
1: long. You know, I'm not going to have to wait 17 years for him to stop doing cocaine and realize that I should finish the epic fantasy I started when I was 19.
0: Yeah. Cause I didn't think he was ever going to finish.
1: But we feel that way about George RR Martin right now. We'll see if he, probably he ever won't. finishes. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, I just don't
0: feel like he has the work ethic that Stephen King has. I feel
1: like once he (laughs) hit a little bit of fan, like fame with his writing, Oh man, I need to stop hitting that with my foot. Once he hit a little bit of fame with his writing, he immediately was just like, all right, this is all I needed. I've arrived. Yep. I'm done. Um, but I feel like one thing that we do when we spread it out like this is it is going to like help me connect more with our listeners in the way that, you know, some of them would have read through the tower for the first time or read to the tower for the first time. Yes. Um,
0: And I think that with the um, schedule of books that we have set, that you're going to be able to experience, and this is not a spoiler because anybody who is in the Stephen King universe knows, that a lot of his books touch Mm -hmm. the Dark Tower world. And so being able to intersperse some of those other things in there, I think will make it the, the journey well, I mean, to the dark Randall tower, flags uh, on
1: the first page of this book. Right. So it's like immediately like, Oh, like good thing. We just read the stand. I know who that is.
0: Right. Cause it, it will make your trip to the tower a richer experience. Mm-hmm. If you can go, Oh yeah, I remember that Easter egg. From the this the and fact that, that he he's immediately
1: that. was chasing Randall flag on the first page. It made like, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever read. I love this. This is amazing. And it's cool too, that like, I know now that he wrote the stand so much later after he started writing this. And, mm-hmm. uh, I got to the point where I couldn't read this anymore because of, like, the restrictions that we set. So I was just kind of, like, really, like, what do I do now? And I started looking up random trivia about the book because I was just like, I want to know more about it. And just one really random fact that I found out is he started writing this randomly in a, his library in college on a green piece of paper that he found just because he had the idea in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's brilliant. I love, yeah. like, those small little, like, things that, like, make that this make story... make it all real. Yeah. It just
0: gives it such a a personality
1: yeah no one day there'll be you know a biopic of Mm -hmm. Stephen King and that'll be like a really monumental and critical scene of it is him getting the idea for the gunslinger for Roland de and for him going like I got it right Um, All right. that's 10 minutes of gathering about nothing I feel like we should move on to talking about the gunslinger and uh, we'll jump right into a recap and we'll actually hit a recap this time and then come back for analysis Um, so the gunslinger
0: I've to the tower like four times because they're also my favorites and so th- these will be ones that you know you'll pick something up and I'll be like oh because every time I read through it I pick up new things and so I'm sure that there will be things but-
1: um, so chapter one the gunslinger um, it was originally published as five different mini stories or four different mini stories right mm-hmm. uh, four different mini stories they were all about two or three years apart Um, in an individual, like it was a college magazine, or it was like a sci-fi magazine or something like that.
0: In magazine, Um, in a a serial form.
1: Right. So we are reading, like, the condensed version of everything, and we start right in with The Gunslinger, and uh, in chapter, I guess we'll say chapter one, and then section one of chapter one. Section one. one. Section one. It is just, he drops us right into the world of you know it's almost a desert and Roland is walking across it and throughout this entire section he starts introducing us to his own like vocabulary his own words he's pretty much telling you that this is my world you've been dropped into like learn it I'm not going to take the time to explain it to you like figure it out
0: yeah there, there'll there be context clues and if you can't figure it out I'm sorry
1: yeah and like honestly if you can't figure it out go read like something go read else. something else uh So, Roland is crossing the desert and we find out that he is chasing a man called the Man in Black, a.k.a. Randall Flagg from earlier, before, I'm sure. Uh, I mean, obviously. Um, And he is chasing him through this desert, this wasteland, this Serengeti, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's just remembering and thinking about the things that has happened. Um, And that's just the first section. And, you know, we're introduced to him and we're introduced to a couple of the past characters from his life. But he's a very stoic. Man, He's very, keeps to himself. He's trying to accomplish his dream and his mission. And like, we get pretty much, we get everything we need to know about Roland from the entire series, I think. You know, he is quiet. He is self-assured. He's confident. He's going to accomplish his goals. And he's going to make sure that what he wants to get done is get done.
0: Regardless of
1: the consequences consequences yeah he doesn't care about being hungry he's going to ignore the thirst you know because at the end of the day the thirst isn't going to help him catch the dark man exactly um and it's a really great way to like set up this man who is so tunnel-sighted that he will ignore the consequences especially like when we get further on he just murders an entire town so you're just like yeah yeah that tracks because
0: they were in his way
1: exactly um we get into uh, part two and he, this is the first time he meets uh, anyone that we get to see him. I mean, it's only the second part of the book. So, of course, it's not like we've gone that far. Um, he meets a man out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and he also meets this guy with a raven's head named Zoltan. He sits there and they talk for a while. and he's The man's trying...
0: name is Brown. The, the raven is Zoltan.
1: Oh, I thought it... My bad. Yeah. yeah. Brown mm-hmm. and Zoltan. And he's sitting there talking about them. And news of this town named tall has already reached this guy. So I imagine the dark man probably passed through and told him, uh, you know, as the dark man from this section, we learned that he's been kind of like toying with Roland as he follows him. Yes. You know, he'll leave little traps or he'll leave little, like, uh, just curses on people to like mm-hmm. come and mess with Roland. Um, and they end up sitting there, uh, having dinner and we find out, you know, a lot about the scarcity of resources and what it's like to be living in this area and to travel through. And it really sets the world up here. And, uh, he slept, Brown woke up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, he sleeps that night. He wakes up the next day. His mule has died. Mm-hmm. And then Brown starts asking him, uh, and we get into chat, section three here and Brown starts asking him about like where he's come from and everything and uh he says do you believe in the afterlife and he says i think this might be it you know it's just we're starting to stephen king's trying to at least help us like p- build the world in our head
0: yes you know this yeah, yeah. for
1: me and like when he said that it put like i didn't see the sky anymore i saw this like ethereal like mist around everything now you know and i mean i'm sure there is a sky but for me like putting it in that like hazy like supernaturally effective everything like you know like yeah, there's an aura that about maybe the world.
0: N- not necessarily but there's uh, the world is has moved on that is one of the things we we talk about in this section and so it's not how it used to be so i think that that's why it's kind of the afterlife, and, you know, maybe things aren't as defined, and maybe there is...
1: You know, we're thinking afterlife, so literally as in, you know, after you die, you go to the afterlife, but this just could be the after after of life of civilization. Right. The afterlife.
0: The right?
1: Yeah. Um, Which is, yeah, cool. Uh, We get into four, they're eating, and you know, you get these fun little 19-year-old bits and (laughs) musical fruit. The more you eat, the more you toot.
0: Because, you know, Brown has taught the... to talk
1: yeah so he's taught him how to talk and uh uh the entire time roland is sitting there just expecting him to ask all these questions and brown isn't asking and he's like okay i guess you're not going to talk about the thing you want to talk about unless i ask you and roland's like yeah you're right okay now i can tell you um and it's roland you know we get For me, that was just telling us about his personality being, you know, I'm not going to give you my troubles unless I'm not going to bother you. I'm not going to, like, become a burden to you unless it's something you're willing for and you're asking. about.
0: Right. Which I think is, you know, I think that's a really cool aspect is that.
1: Oh, I'm like Stephen King, like, must have read the principles of stoicism before he wrote (laughs) this book. Yeah, I think you're right. And then he's just like, I'm going to, like, embody this character. Like, and I know he finds a lot of himself in Roland as well i think so, just yeah. from the introduction that he writes mm-hmm. and i feel like if i was gonna write a seven page you know ten thousand or seven book ten thousand or thousands page like epic i would also put myself in the main role because well, sure. like that'd be more interesting because, for myself
0: well and it would be relatable yeah throughout the whole thing
1: um we get into five and this is where i was like this is brilliant i love this book a lot already Um, And we have these moments here where Stephen King essentially sets it up with a frame story. And then inside of that frame story, he tells it, puts another story. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now we're with Brown. And while he's at Brown, he's telling us the story of what happened in Tull. Mm -hmm. And instead of it being from like that perspective of them sitting around the campfire, it just jumps in as almost like a flashback. And now we're just living the story of Tull. Right. And then during this next section, I think Sheb is going to know. Somebody tells us a story, and it gets into another story mm-hmm. inside of the story. Yeah. And then slowly, as Allie. we get to... Allie tells the Allie story. Allie tells a story. So, like, you know, we get to that peak, the pinnacle of that there, and then right as we're going through the denouement of this, like, part of the story of chapter one, it goes... Uh, you get out of the first story, out of the third story, then you get out of the second story, and then finally we're back with Brown and Zoltan, and it's right. like, this is where we started at. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's just really, really cool and really well set up. Um, I'm, well, I need to focus on the recap. We need to i keep getting too lost in everything um
0: we're really bad at
1: that (laughs) yeah no well it's just really good too and i just want to like really uh
0: so we've gone to tall
1: he goes to tall he gets allie
0: allie tells her story roland's telling his story then allie's telling her story then we come back to roland and then we come back to him with brown and and we're gonna we're gonna leave that as the recap because we there's so much we could get into there if we're not careful. I feel
1: like we need to at least recap like what happens in the town. Like I feel like we need to at least say like Roland goes into the bar, somebody recognizes him, they speak to him in his original tongue of High Gilead, and he shows him this magical coin or something from uh, Gilead, uh, like something that's and significant he then ends up hooking up with the bartender a ton so the bartender tells him everything he needs to know about the dark man and like who he was there and we find out that uh the dark man left like an evil curse for Ali in the mm-hmm. form of like asking about the afterlife and what is next and everything and it's really despicable like real nefarious yeah um he ends up uh, and he
0: makes the key a common word
1: yeah. So it's something that like she could accidentally say just on accident mm-hmm. and then just out of nowhere like she's going to find out the eternal secrets of death and like regret it for her entire life. Um Roland starts to go walking around and he finds a man who has been touched by the dark man to sp- as his prophet, almost and he starts talking about how there's going to be an interloper and it's roland to and roland immediately assumes that it's him so he starts to go back but then as he goes back Allie runs out and she's like i t- i said the word on accident oh no i said it and please kill me roland i can't do it so roland just like all right cool shoots her uh i mean it's not literally what he says but like right it's but the,
0: that's that's kind of the crux of it yeah
1: is... and uh we have uh
0: I mean, basically, the dark man laid a trap for him. 100% in this town.
1: And, like, so as soon as he shoots her, everyone starts to turn on him and he just kills everyone in the town. Uh, And it's great. It's really, really wonderful. Uh, I shouldn't say wonderful. It was really, really, really good. And I liked it so much and I thought it was so cool.
0: Well, and the description is just so.
1: And the setup and, the, like, the yeah. execution and, like, the way that, like, you learn about Roland's fights, st- like, fighting style and, like, the way he does, like, the tricks. Like, I'm sure, like, mm-hmm. I'm really interested, like, for him to, like, explain more about, like, what the finger tricks are. Like, yep. for him to, like, go into detail about it. I think that's really cool. And then you're right. And he will. And then after that, he explains the story and then he co- we come back in from Brown and Brown's like, wow, that's a wild story. And he's like, yeah all right, well, I'm going to get going now. And he's like, okay, see you later. And he, uh, his mule's dead now, but so he just continues to walk on. Right. Uh, he and he refills
0: his, his water and moves on across the desert.
1: Um, and I like the last line in this section where I just said, uh, you know, and Roland continued on and the world moved on with him or something mm-hmm. like that. And, uh, it really, like knowing that like people would have had to wait three years to read the next part of this. I was like, whoa, okay. Like you're just going to do a little genocide and then be like, all right, part two.
0: Well, and, you know, the fact that you had to wait, like, what, five days to be able to read the next section, and you were like, man, I wish we'd have recorded sooner so that I could keep reading. <laughs> yeah,
1: very true. So I can only imagine, like, if you were, like, super into this short story the first time you read it, that you're like, when is more coming? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So then we get into book two or chapter two. Oh, the way station mm-hmm. is what it's called. Um, this is I really liked this section a lot, too. This was really, really good. Um, and this one's a lot shorter and a lot more straightforward, too. Right. Um,
0: you know, Roland's been crossing the desert and he sees this thing that may or may not be a mirage you know because that's a thing
1: yeah 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 and so he sees it looks like almost a structure or a house or something so Mm -hmm. he goes to it and as he gets there he thinks he sees the dark man and he goes to like shoot but then turns out like surprise is actually a little boy and this little boy is just hanging out here and he's like what are you doing here and you know uh they, and he's
0: like, I don't know.
1: He's like, yeah, I just got here, I dude. Just I'm got just here. here. I don't know. I'm
0: just here. It just um, happened.
1: And this is the first time that we see someone from our world in this world asking the questions that we also are like, what is going on? Right. Um. And so you know, Jake is there to be us. He right. that is. He is. That is his point of the story is to give Roland a reason to explain and exposit. You know, there's no reason for him to you know give the exposition to the air. And I think that if Stephen King just had a character like talking to himself, give an exposition to the air, I would be like, Well I'm gonna read well, the next one. This guy's one, then. crazy. Yeah. Um. um So we end up he meets Jake. Jake uh tells us that he doesn't really understand how we get here, then we get the next chapter or Section three is from Jake's point of view. Mm -hmm. um, And we just find out that Jake died in the other world. um, In
0: his prime world.
1: In his prime. Oh, prime world. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're just going to. You can say. That's Jake's
0: prime world. I I just. I don't think he ever specifically calls it that. I just think that would be.
1: Marvel Universe. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the the 616 universe. Right. And so, like, that's his main world. And Randall Flagg, uh, when pushed him into traffic and killed him there. Um, And then. Well, him. it's
0: implied that it's Randall. I mean, he says it's the man in black, and I mean, we assume that it's Randall.
1: Randall Flag. His
0: his incarnation in that world. Okay. <laughs>
1: Whatever. Okay. It's Randall Flag, and then it specifically says a dark priest that brings him to this place, and then the kid is talking about a dark priest
0: that comes through that he hides Brown from. Brown
1: was talking about a priest. Mm-hmm. They were talking about a priest in tall. I can put one and three and seven together, and it's 11. Um, So we get this next section, and Jake uh, gets pushed into traffic and dies. Gunslinger is talking to Jake, uh, and they remove the... uh, He starts going down. um, They start planning on what to do next and he's talking to jake and they kind of decide like oh like you didn't kill me while i slept i didn't kill you while i slept like we're probably cool right and they're like yeah okay we're good like i'm not worried about like anything now um he ends up. Uh, there's a cellar there, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, as they're looking around the way station, they see that there's a cellar. There's a, a well that they can like uh, get their water refilled and everything. So mm-hmm. they refill their water and they like get the food find out all the, of the food. cellar. They go. Uh, they decide they're going to get the food out of the cellar, and then mm-hmm. they go to get it the next day. So then they sleep that day. There's a really right. cute moment where Jake's like, "Can I sleep in the stable with you?" And he's yeah. like, "Yeah, come on, kid. Uh, it's cute. It reminds me of uh, like uh, the Hound in Aria yeah yeah, you know what I mean it's just great Um, and so uh, the next day they go down into the cellar and uh, he goes down there by himself and as he's going down Roland goes down there by himself because Jake's scared Mm -hmm. um, and he's getting all this stuff and as he hands up some of the stuff to Jake there's this groaning and he's like what is that and he's like get out of here if I'm not back count to 300 if I'm not back you run away Uh, and Jake like goes away and Roland's like who's down here and then like the wall or like i it's it's very vague it's like it's almost like a um, sense
0: well and and there's like a he calls it a speaking demon behind the wall yeah
1: so it's just like it feels like i imagine like if you're in that room it's like a presence appear. like you can feel a presence behind the wall and it starts talking to you yeah maybe he it doesn't actually use words and it's just talking to him in his head Mm -hmm. but regardless um And the demon says, go slow past the drawers, gunslinger. I'm assuming, and you don't have to tell me if I'm right or right, I'm pretty sure the drawers is probably what the mountains are called. Um, Watch for the tahin. I didn't look up that word because I didn't want to, like, spoil part of the prophecy for myself. Um, Because I feel like that's part of the point of this, is is not knowing what that word means. Um, While you travel with the boy, the man in black travels with your soul in his pocket. Pretty obvious there, you know you're gonna get attached to this kid and then he's gonna be able to kill the kid and affect you. Like, I thought that was very easy to... Yeah, yeah. And I think even Roland is immediately like, dang it, I already like this kid. This is not good. Uh, And I think that's why the next section is telling us the story of him seeing death for the first time. Mm -hmm. So that way we're like, oh, that's why he's so like disassociated and desensitized. Um, Um...
0: So he reaches into where the speaking demon is and gets the jawbone of the speaking demon.
1: Because he says that uh, the dead speak the truth. And Mm -hmm. so if there is some area of like, and for me it was like having that dead body behind it confirmed that it wasn't just uh, a false prophecy or like a false giving. It was from some truthful supernatural place. And he reaches in, grabs the jawbone, And goes to leave, Uh, you know, (laughs) there's these giant spiders down there Mm -hmm. and he's just so cavalier and casual about it. And I'm just like, (laughs) yeah, spiders are so scary.
0: Well, then when they leave the way station, I think it is so interesting and it really shows you how young Jake is that Jake turns around to say bye to the way station. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I used to do that when I was a kid. <laughs> I used to, too. I was thinking about
1: that, like, as I was driving by the, like, when we would go on trips and stuff, mm-hmm. or, like, when we would leave, and I'd be like, bye, bye this place. I'll see you when right. we get back. Yep. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, Jake really is, like, he's, like, 11, 12, isn't, like, like or maybe even younger, like, 7, 8. Like, uh, he doesn't, yeah, he's very I think, vague, yeah. I feel.
0: I, yeah. I think he's probably...
1: Old enough to take care of himself, but not old enough that he could do it by himself. Right. Um. There are three days out from yeah. the way station, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And getting onto the mountains so um they uh leave they go to leave and he says goodbye and he turns around and the way station isn't there anymore. I yeah. thought that was important too. Mm-hmm. so it makes you know it makes it if we're just going with everything's a trap so far, like I wonder how much of a trap all of that was.
0: Well, and how much of a trap it would have been. In other circumstances you know what what made it so that it didn't trigger the trap okay huh do you see what I'm saying yeah
1: I will also like you're the way that you say these things too like you just make me like reevaluate everything too because it's just like hmm like Jake's probably like the factor but then it's like Jake can't be the factor because the Darkman put him there I'm tra- sure <laughs> you're doing good Kim um, <laughs>
0: It's my job to make you. Right? <laughs> so
1: they go out into the desert. They're walking towards the um, mountains, and they go to sleep. And during the night, uh, you know, uh, during this entire day, Roland's been having these flashbacks of this name named Cuth- this guy named Cuthbert and this uh, guy named Court. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, oh, "Court would have like done like this." And we get like it's almost like a military aspect idea that we get from him. Um,
0: Cuthbert is his contemporary he and cuthbert are a similar age court is their um
1: trainer yeah or their trainer basically we just yeah um and as he goes to sleep that night then we flash back to um them training mm-hmm. and we find out that you know it's almost like he was a falconeer in this like i think that's what it is right now is he's a falconer um and i mean maybe that's just part of Yeah, his that, i was training. gonna say that's
0: one aspect of his training
1: um and so they're sitting there, um, uh, they're playing with their hawk, they're trying they're practicing the training. Court is like we had said, he's like almost like a drill sergeant. Mm-hmm. Like he's training them to become gunslingers. Um we know that the gunslinger like and a lot of this is so I'm gonna like just paraphrase a lot of this, you know, yeah. the gunslingers are in this like Society or something where they're on top and they have like some kind of hierarchy here but there is some kind of rebel it's the good man I can either I'm, I'm really torn here it's either going to end up being that the gunslingers all already follow Randall Flag and that the good man and like whoever this uh, guy was is like I'm imagining like real talk it's Roland's father and uh like essentially he's trying to like bring an uprising and bring down the dark man or it's the opposite and it's like you know roland's father is like really respected and something and like the uh, yeah um yeah sorry and i know no. you're, just, you're just trying to keep your mouth shut mm-hmm. and i really appreciate that um so during all of this uh roland and uh court they end up going and sneaking into a uh the west kitchen to have dinner from Cuthbert, Cuthbert. Cuthbert, thank you. Roland and Cuthbert, the younger two, Court is much older than them. He yes. is their superior officer, training them. Right. So Bert and Roland, I'm just going to call him Bert from mm-hmm. now on. Bert and Roland sneak into the kitchen because Court had said that Bert couldn't eat dinner that night, and Roland's like, "Don't worry, I can get you dinner." So they go and get pay. dinner from this guy named Hax Hax gives them dinner, and then he sho- like shoes them out. Into the hallway. He goes up they go out into the hallway and they're sitting there eating their dinner, and as they're sitting there eating their dinner, Hax comes out and he's talking to this random person and they essentially discover a plot to kill an entire town. Yeah. With poisoned meat, uh, on orders of the good man. The the and that's really all that we hear that's, about them. Yes, that's,
0: that's all what, we know about him so far.
1: Roland and Bert immediately go home and tell both of their fathers. Their fathers report the incident and uh hax is put to death and you know it's really cool because it's written from the point of view of the child in that situation so mm-hmm. that, you know we don't see any of the mechanizations happening there we just see roland tell his dad and then the next thing we know is bert and roland are walking up to the gallows to watch this man be killed because of their direct res- like result
0: yeah their, their you know? direct involvement in him being there they they both ask their father father's permission to to be there because they feel like that it's important that they're there to see the consequences
1: right um, of what
0: they set in motion yeah
1: uh so they watch this man be killed they watch the birds swarm on him and then uh we pretty much uh come back into jake mm-hmm. so you know we get to see for me, this was important because it really showed, like, hey, this is, like, what Roland, like, his childhood was like. So this is what he probably, ex- like, this is what he would assume that most children have. You right. know, he's going to assume that little 12, 13-year-old Jake is similar to him who just watched this hanging and, like, put a man to death. Whereas, like, we just learned well, that. Well, has
0: had this training and has had this discipline. And, and has
1: endurance and stamina. And, right. like, you know, whereas we just learned that Jake was a preppy little rich kid from New York who just happened to fall in traffic. Right. so it's like no it's you got very opposite lives um and they get back into we get back into the desert with them and they continue on they wake up the next day and they see a small little black dot climbing up the mountains right and it and they're like that's the black man we're almost there mm-hmm. and that's the end of this section and that's the end of this and section. i was told i couldn't read anymore
0: yep that's where you got to go back to So we've got a special event coming up on March 18th. We're going to read the new novel later together for the first time.
1: Have you ever had your wife die and then you were a preacher and then you were wondering, how can I bring my wife back to life? Because I'm sure that you have. It's a very specific situation that we've all dealt with. So join us March 25th where we start The Revival by Stephen King.
0: I think it's just Revival.
1: Oh. Well, join us on The 25th, where we start Revival by Stephen King, a story I know that one sentence about. Hey, constant listeners. Otto here. I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone that participated in our Facebook giveaway. Um, I'm recording this a couple of days before the end of it, so Congratulations, insert name here. I hope you really enjoy your handcrafted pint glass. Kim works really hard to create and design those, and they're absolutely amazing. Um, please don't forget to follow us on Facebook at First Time Through Podcast. There, you could have a chance to get entered into win giveaways, uh, such as other things and merchandise, but also you can get involved in the conversation with, we have with our viewers. We really want to hear more of what you have to say. Thank you so much. What is up, Constant Listeners? And in case that one's really bad, what's up, Constant Listeners? My name's Otto, and I hope you already know that because you're already about half an hour in, and I haven't changed it since. I'm j- quickly just cutting in here to let you know that starting on March 10th, Wednesday, we're going to be starting a brand or continuing our Patreon series on The Stand. From then on, you could should and we would like to be able to make sure that every wednesday we're producing special episodes just for our patrons over at patreon.com first time through so patrons on march 10th 17th and 24th you can expect a special episode of kim and i's reactions to the stand mini series from 2020 now starting on wednesday the 31st we're going to start reviewing the stand 1993 miniseries immediately afterwards and give and give immediate comparisons we hope to hear what you have to say we have a bunch of good news here at good we have a bunch of good news here at first time through new eyes on castle rock we're going to be starting a new series called minisode monday we've realized there's literally hundreds of small stephen king stories that can be two to three to eighty pages long that they just aren't going to be worth an entire episode on our, their own or with just us. So we're going to invite in some loved ones, some friends, families, maybe even some of our higher tier patrons to read through these stories and come on the air with us and give us their feedback and their, hopefully it'll be their first time through. So on March 15th, expect our debut mini We're going to be inviting Kim's husband, Kurt Payne, Be reading The End of the Whole Mess from the collection Dreamscapes and Nightmares. Wow, there is so much going on around here. You guys are going to be having mini-sodes every other Monday. Every Thursday, we have our new episode of First Time Through New Eyes on Castle Rock. On Wednesdays, on the Patreon, you're going to have new... Uh, exclusive episodes covering the TV adapt and movie adaptions. On Tuesdays, patrons get the episodes early. Every day, first time through, is interacting and talking to you about the comments and your reactions on Facebook and Twitter. Wow. That is incredible. Oh, and we're still in the middle of the Gunslinger. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of this because, Otto. Is already read another hundred pages since they finished this. And let me tell you something. It is. It, I probably shouldn't say anything. Finish this one first.
0: So, you know, starting at the beginning, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed there you go that's your synopsis of the whole series uh
1: honestly though yeah that makes sense it so. really
0: the the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed um i was i was hooked from the beginning because i was like oh okay so this is what we're gonna do
1: i was only hooked from the beginning because i knew it was Randall flag like if i would have known it was Randall flag i would have been like not hooked at all yeah. honestly real talk I understand why people give up after reading the first section of this book, because it's boring. It's really, 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 really dull. Uh, Not like the first chapter, mind you. Right. Just the first section where it's just him walking across the desert for six pages.
0: Right. Because, you know, it's one of those, oh my gosh, do we really need six pages to hear about this? Yeah, we don't. But...
1: There's no butt for me.
0: I see, and to me, I feel like that's the reason it why people don't read me, this book. It puts me in the desert because I, there's nothing to see, there's nothing to do, there's nothing to hear. There's and by taking my time to get there and, and putting me there, I'm there because I'm disconnected from everything else now.
1: And I think the part of it, like, is it just keeps people like dedicated readers from it like really it's like you know if it wasn't something that you wanted to like read through and get through you wouldn't you weren't going to
0: you aren't going to but you know if you if you can and and I know that a lot of people need that encouragement just just keep going because it really is worth the journey no and that's why I'm saying this is
1: like this is probably going to be my favorite Stephen King book like already I like it that much Mm -hmm. objectively this first like part one of chapter one kind of terrible yeah and it's just because, I mean, it's it's not It's because he takes in... a
0: long time to put you in that place. Yeah. And you don't necessarily need that. No. But to me, I feel like that that was intentional because he wanted you to feel how absolutely nothing there was.
1: He gives you a good sense of isolation and loneliness mm-hmm. for Roland right off the bat. You know, like this yes. man is alone in his journey and his quest. Yes. Um. So, like we'd said, he goes to meet Brown and he goes to Zoltan. And for me, I didn't really focus on that, so I don't have much analysis on those. And I'm well, sure they're going to eventually really, become. I
0: mean, there's not a whole lot to analyze there. I mean, he he gets some generosity from this desert dweller and it gives him the opportunity to share his story. Yes. That's really.
1: He's, a, he's just a literary device. Mm-hmm. That's really what he's there for is to give us a reason to like read through this um where is it so nope that's the wrong one I'm in the way station still dang it ah it's so much less easy to do this on mm-hmm. a digital format isn't it yes um okay so do you just wanna like I was saying though, I think we could just start like right at five because that's where like yeah because that's me, where it, the st- Five is where that's I got where
0: we get into hooks. the the meat of the story.
1: Well, Five does this really great thing. We get into section four, and Brown has been like, "Hey, what happened?" And Roland's like, "And now that he asked, I can finally tell him." And I feel like this sense of being able to tell him, right. and so just out of nowhere, we're just thrown into this story.
0: Right. Brown invites him to talk and to tell his story, and so
1: we hear his story.
0: Right. So we we shift gears. We're instantly in a different place because now we're in the.
1: And it's cool because it's not told in the like, well, I was walking into Tull and I was looking to buy a mule and I met this woman named Alice. You know, it's told, you know, as if it's just Stephen King writing the next part of the book. Right. It's just the way that he does it timeline wise is really fun because we are hearing it and experiencing it in a way that we already know the outcome because of how Roland is telling it. Right. You know, Roland has such we deep shame know. and resignation about right. this. So we already, we already know. know he's
0: past this place yeah. because he's past this so place. So something
1: has gone down here. Right. And even he wants to talk about it. And he just hasn't had a chance to.
0: Right. Even this this private, isolated individual right. needs to get this off his chest.
1: Yeah. And so he comes into town and it is a tiny, tiny little town named Tall it is. It is the epitome of a, a broken Western ghost town. You know, yes. you, you think of, like, one with the double door saloons and, like, the tumbleweed rolling by, and they got three people, and both of, two of them look sick as they walk down the road. Like, right. that is this town, exactly. Right. Um. He, there is a bar there, and there is a man named Sheb playing the ivories, tickling the piano, as mm-hmm. you will. He's playing Hey Jude by the Beatles, you know, has... Some things aren't apparently close. They're exactly the exact same. Right. And, uh, there's, uh, he goes into the bar. There's a woman behind the bar. And, uh, he's like, Hey, can I, uh, stay here for a couple nights? And she's like, Yeah, I don't got no money. Like, you know, it's just very, uh, this entire interaction just really sets up town super poor Roland super loaded right you know he's got thousands it seems like he's probably got like a, a magic gold pouch in his pocket from all of the gold that he stole in Gilead after that town after that world was destroyed so it's like he's he's fine and he orders three hamburgers, which is more than anyone in this town has ever seen anyone eat before.
0: Right. At and one sitting.
1: So they're all just like,
0: what? what? Look at him. He's yeah. loaded.
1: So he's sitting there eating these hamburgers, just hanging out, asking questions, trying to, like, find out more about the dark man From all these people. When out of nowhere, the man uh, runs across the bar and, like, pretty much, like, it felt like he, like, I don't think he actually did it, but it felt like he grabbed him by the collar and he was like, I know you. I need your help, gunslinger. He's or, that, That's not Shad, no, that's, shab, not what he that's says. Nort. Oh, I thought it was Sheb. It's Sheb is the one that comes in and was uh with Alice later. See he's the one that tries to kill Roland. My bad. Yeah. No 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 no. Yeah. Okay, Nort. Um and Nort has been this guy sitting in the corner the entire time Roland has been here. And when the Dark Man came through
0: He raised Nort from the dead. Um, Nort had died the the morning that the gunslinger came or that the Dark Man came through, and the Dark Man like they were having a wake for okay. him, and that's when the dark man showed up, and the dark man brought him back to life. So, Nort was kind of the first cog of the trap.
1: I feel like the fun thing about this, too, is like for the dark man, it's probably one of those things where, like, Nort is also when he brings him back to life he implants the curse word for Allie in it mm-hmm. uh in that like spell to bring him back to life and it's the word 19 and if Allie says the word 19 around Nort, Nort will just automatically go into this like mode where he tells her the secrets of death and like what he saw when he died and like all of these things right and uh you know he immediately and no
0: and no person should have that knowledge
1: accept you, you, the dark man he's except fine with it I guess right. um, but I mean he's also you know legion he is uh, Izzelbub mm-hmm. he is Randall He's Randy he's a good old Randy you know so um, he comes in and he talks uh, like we had said earlier he talks in High Gilead to Roland mm-hmm. so if nothing else they have a direct connection there but, br- 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 but it's a it.
0: typical you know
1: it's just him introducing himself to the town and us meeting yeah. the characters. Yeah. Um,
0: and it's a typical bar in in this environment. You know, there's guys playing cards. There's, you know, people there drinking. The The piano player's playing the piano. I mean, just it's just a, a
1: bar. Um, and he... Nort comes over to him and he says gunslinger hi or sigh or guy or something like that sigh, sigh. Um, which I imagine is just it's gonna end up being like an honorific for the language that he's creating <laughs> and uh he uh, Pulls out, he's like, can I have a gold coin? So Roland pulls out this gold coin. As he pulls out the gold coin, Sheb stops playing music and just walks out and leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that that does end up, I think he says this later on, like, I don't remember exactly what it is, but he talks about, like, why was Sheb so familiar? Why do I remember mm-hmm. him? Like, yep. uh, and he doesn't, I don't think he ever tells us why he remembers nope. him, though. Uh, you're like, oh, trust me, I am aware. I remember exactly that. when he remembers <laughs> Sheb. Um, he, uh
0: in about i don't know three thousand pages you'll find out <laughs> so, um I don't know. that's funny
1: um so it's you know he sits there and then he hypnotizes everyone in the bar and forces them out essentially um, yeah
0: and and that really makes Allie mad because oh yeah you know, she's drove
1: out like all of her business and her i imagine business. this is probably the only time she makes money during the day is you mm-hmm. know when everybody's in there at night after their work and stuff So, um, you know, it's also the first time that we like see a little bit of his sorcery, like Mm -hmm. Roland's sorcery and his magic and stuff, you know, and I think it's cool. It seems like the gunslinger's powers, like while they are magical, they're based more in like sleight of hand effects and like tricks.
0: Yeah. And like, it's it's like a hypnosis. It's like being dexterous. And I think
1: that is a really interesting skill set, like guns and illusions. Like that's really going to be fun to like see what he can do with it. Yeah. And, Um, and,
0: you know, it's also important to know what he can do do with his hands
1: right yeah
0: how dexterous he is with his hands yeah because
1: especially later on when he's reloading in like a quarter Mm -hmm. of a second and he's just like oh reload six more shots pop 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 you're all dead Um, it's important like that that training is so skill set too Mm -hmm. you know he is yeah he's charismatic and he can talk and he can do these things but he can also just hypnotize everyone to get him out so he can ask the questions he really wants to ask right so he hypnotizes everyone that gets him out and then ally is pretty much just like you know i'll tell you all the information you want if you have sex with me and right. then i was like oh this is definitely written by a 19 year old boy isn't it <laughs> right
0: and i was just like yeah
1: that is the ideal like you walk into a town and this woman's so turned on by you that she has to have sex with you to tell you the information and i was like yeah 19 year old stephen king is having a good day writing this um so they go upstairs, they have sex, and and in that same vein though, Stephen King doesn't like go into detail sexually in this one. Right. He's and he just kind of like, and then it, they, they go upstairs it. and they did it. Right. <laughs> and so uh, the next one is uh, they come in, he's smoking, they're talking, and uh, there he's like, "What was up with Nort? Why was he like that?" Uh, and she starts talking. Oh, you know. Uh, this dark man, this priest came through and, you know, Nort had actually died.
0: Right. Uh, He died right in front of the place, came clumping down the boardwalk and just died.
1: And he says, well, you got to tell me everything. I want to know everything about the dark man and like everything. And she's like, all right, I'll tell you. And then we get into the story inside of the story. Mm -hmm. So now we're inside of the second frame of this frame story. Right. Um, And
0: section seven. Yeah.
1: Section seven, which is from the point of Alice the woman that is the bartender Mm -hmm. in Tull where Roland just arrived and then this story that we're all talking about now that Ali is telling is a story that Roland is telling as part of his story to Brown, <laughs> right. and Zoltan at the campfire. Not... It's just great. It's brilliant. Yeah. I love it so much. And I just wanted to really reiterate it again. Um, so she's telling us the story of Nort dying. He comes up, he just dies right in front of the bar. And then uh, they're not sure what to do with the body. Then the dark man comes in and he's like, oh, don't worry. He brings her back to life. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, Ugh, what? Um, and he stays, like, a night or two, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Stays a night or two, and he starts, you know, talking to people around the town, and there's one person in particular, I don't remember his name, it's the... name, the priestess. Yeah, I the don't priest, remember their um, name. Um, Amy uh, Felden, no. Nope. What is it? There's a priest... Anyway. ...later on, and yes. uh, Randy has touched her to pretty much uh, warn and hype up the town against Roland. Right, because you know? he
0: knows that Roland, Roland is, is on his way. Them, yes.
1: So his essential thought is I'm going to get this entire town so scared of the next stranger that walks through that they're going to try and murder him. Right. And so he hypes them all up and he plays all these tricks um, and he's staying the night in Ali's bar and he's talking to Ali one night and you know she actually it's funny she tries to uh, sleep with the dark man too and I think they're like good good on you Allie like you just you go off girl right. and uh, yeah and he's like I'm busy like I got stuff to do uh, and she says well what does he think about uh, no what is it don't talk uh, he, she said uh, he says uh, so why are you passing through and he says don't talk to me about trivialities you're talking to death Right. and she says Uh okay uh, you're soft-hearted and afraid, and he was dead. Uh, dead as anybody, dead as you, as anybody, get out of my place. And, you know, she starts to get a little afraid of him, you know. Right, she absolutely He's just constantly is talking about death, and this guy, um, he laughs, saying, did he bring her? I'll show you a wonder, but they only watched him. And then he jumps back up, and he goes over, mm-hmm. and he brings Nort back to life, and... Um, In one hand, made a groaning, slobbering sound. Uh, Oh, man, near the piano with a forgotten beer in one hand. hmm, That's interesting. Groaning, slobbering sound. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just a very specific, like, phrasing that we also just, like, we learn in the next chapter section as well. Uh, The man in black stood over north. The wind howled, shrieked, and thrummed. Something large struck the building, and... Something large struck the building hard enough to make it shake and then bounced away. One of the men at the bar tore himself free and headed for some quieter locale, moving in great grotesque strides. I really like Steve's alliteration throughout this book too. Mm -hmm. He does, he, as much as it is a little bit more pompous than his writing that we've read later on, like particularly The Stand, like The Stand is not very very pompous at all. It's very straightforward and American, like writing and style in my opinion. This is definitely, like, even as he says, you know, he's taken some writing workshops about, like, symbolism and, like, writing technique and, like, structure. And he's like, I can I'm going to use
0: every trick that I have learned.
1: Every single trick. Um, All right, let's get down to it. Sheb laughed a little like and lunched over. Sheb grinned, one gold tooth twinkling. And uh, it seems like, you know, uh, Sheb knows him almost. Or, like, he's, like, seen him. Mm -hmm. And I now we, like, you know, later on we know Sheb, too, at least Roland sees him. So he's got to have some connection with Gilead. And we know that now, at least. And he's dead, so it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, He got got.
0: He did get got.
1: Um, Oh, I swear to God, if Sheb ends up being Cuthbert, I'm going to cry. That would be a wild turn. Um... What is this? She began to giggle, walking back and forth. She could hear the sound Nora had made when he came back to her. And yeah, Ali's just going crazy. She is not enjoying this. She goes right, to no. bed that night. Um, and uh, she wakes up the next day. The dark man's gone, and he's left her a letter. And right. it says, Allie, you want to know about death? I left him a word. That word is 19. If you say it to him, his mind will be opened. He will tell you what lies beyond, he will tell you what he saw. The word is 19 knowing will drive you mad but sooner or later you will ask you won't be able to help yourself have a nice day walter o dim ps the word is 19. you will try to forget but sooner or later it will come out of your mouth like vomit 19. <laughs> i'm like the way that the letter is written is pretty funny but also you know he says walter o'dim and he's mm-hmm. been calling the man in black and i've been saying randy Flagg. so if you are like in any way like just so that way i can give a little preface to that randall Flagg is the main antagonist of this stand also written by stephen king and at the end of the stand spoiler alerts for that a little bit we find out that randall Flagg is not actually a person that he is a demon he is legion he is beelzebub he is the embodiment of evil essentially that you know
0: and then he's reborn at the end of the book
1: He's reborn, or he goes back in time. Where he's it's reborn up in...
0: somehow. He is reborn at some point in time, whether it's his beginning or a new beginning if he or whatever reborn, it is. he is reborn, that technically implies
1: that he died or he was vanquished in some way. And I'm telling you, he was not vanquished in any way. He, he just teleported he, um, out. He just dipped, and he like let everyone die for him, and he okay, was just like. He's,
0: he, so reborn is maybe not the right word. He remanifests. Remanifest. I like that much better. In a new. Better.
1: You're gonna say place. I'm saying time. A
0: new location time, whatever in a new
1: new new. Okay, that's fine. I agree with that. He re manifests. He remanifests somewhere somewhere sometime.
0: sometime. It it's very vague about
1: And he never uses the same name either. So even the fact that he says Walter O'Dim here does not in any way dissuade me from being one hundred percent convinced that this is in fact Randy Flagg. (laughs) um and i mean you know we're gonna get to like book five and it's gonna be like actually this is randy flag's brother walter and i'm gonna be like (laughs) no it's not this is randy i refuse to let you lie to me like this yeah and uh he uh, ali gets that word or gets the letter and literally the first thing she said almost says out loud is 19 and she's like wait don't say that don't say that um you know, and it's also like just one day she could accidentally just say, like, all right, that's 319. And just right. like the death. Oh, and you will arrive at the doors of death. You are And just right. like, no.
0: Well, and and Roland's advice to her when she shares that information is forget that that number even exists. You know, go from 17 or go from 18, 18 to 20. 20. You know, just don't even just never. Don't just act like it doesn't exist in your vocabulary again. Otherwise, it will be very bad. Yeah. Because he knows, I mean, he's following Walter, the black, the man in black, whatever. He's following him for Randy. a reason. He knows who he is.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, well, and I think that's the thing, too, is like, that's why I know that Randy is involved in Gilead somehow. You know, whether he's the good man, whether he is the current leader or, you know maybe he's you know maybe he's roland's father like you know like they're very you don't know, they didn't explain who no, they, they any of this they person is you know, they,
0: they call him the good man they refer to a john farson they but they don't tell you who any of those people are
1: right so it's you know you can draw those conclusions like i am right but i am also like you know i have 160 pages of information about a seven book series so
0: right. <laughs>
1: i'm really really grasping at straws here on this you one guys are. um in the morning she cooked him grits and he ate them without comment uh you know he's just i'm sure after a couple of months of traveling through the desert being solo and alone and surviving on nothing but grass and and,
0: like and it's implied here and he, he doesn't go into the specifics he's been traveling alone for a long time a long time so conversation doesn't come easy when you've been alone alone i mean not for me because i'm a talker but you know if you are a quiet person anyway and he gets into that when he starts talking about Roland's childhood when you're a quiet person anyway and then you've also been alone you know opening up and talking to people is not your default
1: yeah it's not something that you because everything like too that you've been thinking and that you've been doing like mm-hmm. if you put it out out of your mouth I feel like if you're alone you're I to not feel extra crazy mm-hmm. you know and it's like if you're already like starting to like fight those like urges of sanity against like that isolation and loneliness like being able to like be social and like have those things like has to help so much right but, so i but having, it also like,
0: has to have a transition there has to be yes. a comfort level that has to be gotten before you can start and
1: so i think that you know dialoguing. we see again that for stephen king part of the way that he must have as a person it seems connected with people immediately is through sex You know, and I mean, we see that... Or at least that's how he thinks that people can connect immediately and, like, have a better understanding of one another, you know?
0: Allie and and, Roland immediately
1: have sex and they, like, gel together. They have a better, like, information and, like, knowing of each other, you know? Lucy and Larry immediately had sex and they had a better understanding of each other. Franny and Stu, like...
0: When they finally got there. (laughs) Yeah, so it's,
1: you know... I I don't know Saying I don't know. Maybe that is, like, a specific thing about Steve. Well,
0: and I think that, again... In using the stand as a reference and using and then comparing to this, these are both seeming the stand is absolutely a post apocalyptic and making those intimate connections with people is really important in that right. environment. And this is implied this is also a post apocalyptic or something. It is it is not a healthy, average, normal place, and so there's not a lot of people, and so making those intimate connections is
1: much more difficult.
0: Yeah, and so when there's an opportunity, he took it, um, you know, um, and and so you know he's trying to get information. He just he wants to know what's on the other side of the desert because he knows that that's what's next. That Tull is his last town before he gets to the desert, and he knows that that's the way he needs to go. But he wants information, which is perfectly reasonable. So you know, Allie's like you know go talk to the stable guy
1: so kennedy is this old man uh and he's got these daughters and he's beating them and stuff you know yeah oh because this is where he talks about um what's on the other side of the mountains this Mm -hmm. is the person that tells him that stuff Mm -hmm. um and nobody really knows either like what's on the other side of the mountains it's all very vague you know Right. of course anybody that's in tall that's gone on the other side of the mountains why would they come back right like (laughs) that's a long journey i'm sure um uh and, uh, you know, Kennerly really says something about Allie and then and then Roland's like, I'll kill you for that. Like, blah, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Um, also, I think it's interesting. I've just been calling him Roland, but we don't know his name at this point.
0: Right. Yeah. No, yeah, we, we actually we, do not know his name. At
1: this until point. the end of this chapter, in mm-hmm. fact. Um, and it's when Allie is asking him to kill her that he's, right. she, we find out his name is Roland. Right. Uh, which was a fun way to, like, learn that.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, we get, like, you know, 70 pages of him just being this the man the gunslinger and and description we don't get anything right. that gives him a name
1: um, then we also i think that uh, one thing well, that literally
0: goes and tells him to go talk to the preacher woman
1: yeah uh, and I was gonna say, too, like we also get some uh, interesting information about like the honorific sigh isn't just like a high Gilead thing. It's no, like it's an, just everything an thing. yeah, it's um, like
0: saying ma'am or sir.
1: And it was just the first time that they they'd said it it wasn't Gilead. so it, yeah, it, was it in gives the, you the that high
0: language right
1: like appearance that it is. but you know after that, Ali is called in that and like all these things. So there's these like this mixture language almost mm-hmm. there yeah. in the well, I mean,
0: um, I think that it's like the difference of speaking you know, this proper I'm gonna use air quotes here, proper English versus speaking casually to your friends and family. Yeah. Um and and dialects. I, I high the high speech is the formal, you know, what you would use if you were speaking to, you know, I don't know, the president
1: or I will also say too, something that just we as Americans are a little conditioned for is just the assumption that everyone speaks English. And so it's, you know, we're assuming because it's written in English that he is speaking English, but for all we know, they're just, it's translated into English for our benefit. You know, they could be speaking some like completely like hubla baba gaj language. And it's like, oh, like we wouldn't understand that because it's a completely made up language from a completely different universe. So Stephen King is And so it's really
0: shocking that this... Weed eater, the the this druggie basically that had died and was brought back spoke this obscure language that mm-hmm. was primarily dead. You know, it'd yeah. be like somebody I don't know popping up and speaking Latin or something.
1: Right. um And I forgot where we were at. Oh, uh, so okay. So Ali is uh, Ali and Roland are hooking up. They're having a good night, and mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, Sheb comes in. And he breaks down the door and uh, shes he's upset because uh, apparently he was dating Allie before Roland came into town and right. uh, Roland, you know, snagged his girl as, right. you know, Stephen King characters do. And uh, he pretty much eventually, uh, what was it? They end up having this uh, um, conversation and he pretty much is like, uh, you were at, this war this like battle or this like this fight almost it seems mm-hmm. like it doesn't like it's uh, it says what is it called the reap night on the clean sea or something yeah,
0: the, the reap night is um
1: don't say anything about it because i don't like it literally it only calls it reap night
0: that's true you're right so I'm gonna stop like, talking like
1: yeah it. like it's if you explain anything i feel like you I, might give yes, away a little you, bit about what you're exactly is. right um all we know is that shep says you are at reap night you are just a boy one of the three boys you come to count stock and Eldris jonas was there the coffin hunter and and then it cuts off and then gunslinger's like get out of here now Mm -hmm. so that's all that we learn about their connection Yeah, Yeah, yeah sheb
0: is is accusing him of being somebody that he knows from this place and this time and this event
1: um and uh He's like, no, I wasn't that person, but I was there, essentially. And he's like, you were just a boy. Like, yeah, and that's what we get. So, like, that's... Underline that. You were just a boy?
0: No, that whole
1: section. And, uh... It, it is... And then
0: Allie wants to know, like, what was that all about? What was that? And he's like, no, I'm not going to talk about it.
1: None of your business. No, it's none of your business. <laughs> like, and then, you I mean... know, he's
0: known her three days. No, I'm not...
1: Uh, and so, you know, he ends up uh, just pretty much kicking him out and tells him to run away. Uh And that section really is just there to, like... It almost makes you question. It it really sets up, uh, you know, the Mm -hmm. genocide that he's about to do. You know, he's about to murder everyone. And you know, I think that if that just comes out of nowhere for a character that we've been like playing with right now so Mm -hmm. far, it seems, you know, like a betrayal almost. But now that we're adding in this like mysterious element, this like questionable aspect of his past Mm -hmm. that he refuses to talk about when he goes off and kills everyone, now it's a little bit more like, okay, Roland, that makes sense.
0: Okay, we're gonna go with that. You don't think so? I mean, there's, there's,
1: there's more to it. I know, but like, I'm just saying, like, story wise, just but for this for, one this, short story, for this um, one
0: short section, we're we're gonna go with it. That's the catalyst,
1: or well, that's
0: part of the catalyst. Because what really, no, happens... no, no, I'm not
1: saying that that's not part of the catalyst for like storytelling. I'm telling like that's structure story wise, like writing wise, like the only reason that like it as a character, like as a reader, that I can buy into him murdering everyone at the end of this like section of the story is because Stephen King sets up that he has a questionable past. Okay. If like Roland would have been like a squeaky clean like lawman, like really like live in that in like through that entire section up to this point, you know, like he refuses to have sex with the bartender because right. that's an unhol like it's a it's an unhonorable thing to do. Right. You know? He but- he does those different things and it's not as ruthless as he obviously is, you know, he buys everyone food, you know, there's little things that you can do that like would have put it into a place where, you know, you could have just straight up tricked me. But Stephen King makes it very clear that this is a man with questionable morals. Right. Um, when that makes, that's such a more interesting character anyways.
0: Uh, Yes. Um, It absolutely does make for,
1: and like all I'm trying to say, he's not a paladin. Yes, exactly. He's not a paladin. paladin. he is a chaotic good, or he's a chaotic neutral. It seems, uh, barbarian (laughs) um and I think that story structure wise that's why that's important you know you have to have that questionable past to justify a murder of that That magnitude or else you're gonna lose a bunch of your reader base right they just don't like most people don't want to just read about like murder for murder's sake right it has to be a little motivated in like some kind of like feeling and rooted in emotional sense too right um He goes to get his mule the next day, and as he's walking his mule... He goes to
0: the church, because the next day is... He goes to get
1: his mule, and as he's walking the mule, he walks past the church. The
0: woman who preaches there has poison religion. Let the respectable ones go. Just don't. And then he goes and, and stands in the vestibule and watches the service. And then he goes and talks to her...
1: Woman who, yeah, yeah. So I always says that he needs if he wants to find out more about the black man that he needs to go talk to the preacher. Uh, at, but then
0: she also doesn't want her to go
1: because want him to go. Uh, you no, know, it's. Uh, I feel like it's just a little bit of jealousy, like you know, and like right. scared, right. but like she really is like I don't want to like lose you to this other pretty woman. Um, and I feel like it's just more nineteen year old boy stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of, but you know, then we get there and you know he goes to the church. And her subject of meditation is the interloper. Yeah. So she gets the, her congregation worked up about, you know, a stranger, an interloper, somebody who's not supposed to be there.
1: And, um, it's quite literally all it is about. It is just a fear mongering worship service of getting everyone in this town scared of this person. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, preacher her name is sylvia Pittston, and we find out after the service when he goes to talk to her that she had been touched by uh randy you know she had specifically talked with him uh and during while she's talking and she's giving this service during there too like we have these moments where she seems almost supernatural and she's like able to like draw these emotions out of people too mm-hmm. um, it's,
0: it's like um that almost like speaking in tongues and... and
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like a revival service. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um You know, and I think, like, one of those... Revi- the power of those revival services just comes in, like, the ability to, like, buy in. Like, if you believe, you're probably going to get an effect. Mm-hmm. You know? And if you don't believe, you're not going to get anything out of it. Right. So all of these people probably... Buying in so deeply because they just watched this man bring someone back to life. Right. So now they have this priest here who is talking, talking about his
0: word, his word. And right. they're
1: like, okay, like he can help prevent death at least, you know, and that's more than any other gods ever showed them. And right. I, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and. And. They pretty much uh, decide uh, if the interloper does show up that he they're going to have to kill him. Mm-hmm. If you see him sashaying down Main Street tomorrow, praise God. Will you crush him if you see him, brothers and sisters? Yes. Say, say, uh, and gunslinger is just like, all right, well, I think I should get out of town That's probably
0: now. probably my cue. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so he goes back to that night. He uh, hangs out with Allie. They have sex. And then he's like, all right, I got to get going.
0: Uh, and, and she knew it and he knew it and, and it was, I mean, she knew that he wasn't there to stay and, and she knew that it was going to be time for him to move on.
1: Yeah and uh so the next day he wakes up he goes to get some breakfast um and you know it's this this is like one of those like classical stephen king lines where he just tells you what happens to this character Mm -hmm. without telling you so he's eating breakfast and then at the very last like line he says he only saw her alive one more time Mm -hmm. um so it's like oh okay like you know between that line and like you know Whenever Roland, we
0: next see Allie.
1: Well, also, Roland has said, like, a tragedy happened in Tall, right. and, like, no one's there anymore before. Right. So it's like, oh, man, like, what?
0: Whatever happens between this and, and it's him telling the story, it's, it's about to go down.
1: Um, he leaves uh, to go and talk to the preacher again. Mm-hmm. He goes to talk to her, and she pretty much is just like, you're never going to catch him. Um,
0: and, and accuses him. She says, you walk in the way of evil.
1: Right, and she's pretty much, you know, Randy came through, and he's an angel of God, and he brought us back to life, brought him back to life to show us that, and he is the one that's going to, like, protect us, and you are a demon, Um, and one of us, one of us that's here is going to give birth to a great child, Mm -hmm. a king, a great child king, and, you know... If you invade me. Oh, okay. Um, She's pretty much just trying, you know, again, Roland is the sexual icon and desires of many women in Tull. And And she's
0: like, but if you touch me, it will be the end because he has already got me with child. And, and
1: you know, the classic Randy situation comes in and knocks a woman up uh, just because he really wants, he just wants a baby boy. That's all he wants. He He just wants a baby boy. Mm -hmm. And he'll never get it, I imagine. Uh, maybe he will. I don't know. There's a lot of books. You'll never catch him, never. Uh, I'll catch him. We both know it. What is beyond the desert? Answer me. The demon then out it comes. No, he pried the legs apart and unholstered one of his guns. No, no, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is wild. Yes. Um, so he essentially, like, gives her a forced abortion with his revolver.
0: Well, he threatens to. Um, uh,
1: he, he yeah. <laughs> he, Okay. It's, okay. Regardless, though, it, his revolver way, is inside of her, it, it's and not, yeah. it is very—it's uh, pretty awful. Yeah, it's very—you uh, know—anything I was saying about like Roland having a little bit of a questionable past or anything is like mm-hmm. immediately negated in this moment when you're like, oh, he just wants to know—is like he will do what he needs to do. Okay, where like that's—he's—he's he's an anti-hero, like in most senses. You mm-hmm. know, he's not there to look out for the common person. He's there he's to there accomplish what he wants.
0: Right. He's there for his quest.
1: Um and uh, she is done he tells her everything she tells him everything and he's like good all right, good luck now see you later and she's like you're gonna regret that my child is gonna kill you and he's like Mm -hmm. okay sure Mm -hmm. and he leaves Um, he goes back to Kennerly he goes to get the mule and as he gets his mule and he's walking down main street um, the uh, uh, Kennerly sends his daughters inside and uh, out of nowhere, he's filled with... alley did not come. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as he's walking out of town, he's thinking, you know, I might avoid this trap. You know, mm-hmm. I might not actually might get act caught not, here. Right. And then uh, there's a scream... And had a to be a- so Allie starts running at him as soon as she screams everybody that's in this town starts to come out of the buildings as well and they all have rocks in their hands and they rocks all have pieces of wood and, and, and right. um, you know a couple of them have knives and she's running towards him and she just screams kill me Roland kill me I said the word 19 I said and he told me I can't bear it so you know We learn Roland's name right there, which is interesting. And, like, it's a good, like, Roland's a good name. I love it. It's a great name. Um, And uh, her mouth flapped open. He shot her twice. Uh, You know, there's no, not a second thought for Roland.
0: No. The moment. And, And, yeah, he says, the hands were trained to give her what she wanted. He was the last of his breed and was not only his mouth that knew the high speech. The guns beat their heavy atonal music into the air. Her mouth flapped and she sagged and the guns fired again.
1: And, you know, uh, the next, like, the rest of this really is just, uh, us, it's a really good scene of him killing everybody in town. Right. You know, they come out, he gets stabbed in the butt once, and, like, he shoots this kid's head off, and then, uh, Sylvia is there, like, you know, like, screaming, like, everyone go get him, and then she, you know, she's, he shoots her, and then, um they found, well, and he retreated
0: his body moving like a dancer to avoid the flying missiles so they're throwing all their stuff at stuff him. stuff at
1: him in rocks and they're coming right. running out they're all just running right at him too right.
0: and he reloaded as he went with a rapidity that had also been trained into his fingers yeah so and that's
1: then, i'm telling you dude i don't think this is any kind of symbolism i'm telling you his pistols turn into an eye and a hand and he stood screaming reloading his mind far away and absent and like you can tell me like whatever it is but It doesn't... It's not... It says transmogrify, which means that the appearance of the object becomes the appearance of something else. So he wouldn't say that word unless it's actively changing, like, in a way that Roland can see it. Or feel it.
0: Yeah, um, I mean...
1: You know, and maybe like it is just like a thing that like doesn't actually end up translating further on into the stories, but right here he it is very clear that they transform in his hands.
0: Yeah. I mean they become
1: an eye in the hands. And I, I hand.
0: think that I don't think that the physical <gasps> guns... Oh my god.
1: So that's what the flawed rock is. The flawed rock the eye. That it's a gun from the gun from Gilead. Okay. I don't... It all make it's all coming together now.
0: I don't Think that they physically change. I do. I think that they become part of him,
1: like his like, brain changes, like, like how his, he sees them.
0: Right, that they that they are no longer uh, uh, an object in his hand. That the the barrel of the gun is his eye, and the gun is his hand, and that is they are a physical part of his being.
1: Maybe. I can see that, too.
0: That's how I've always read Mm -hmm. that, is that they are just an extension of his being, that they are no longer a separate object from his person.
1: I feel that. For me, it was in this world of magic, afterlife, like sorcery. He has these magic guns that when he shoots them at the end of their clip, they transform into a different object because they're out and he has to do some trick with his hand, whether it be flip them around or like turn them six times clockwise or like whatever it is. Right. And then they are reloaded and they turn back into guns. Um I think that's like the best thing about reading, if I'm being honest, though, is the fact that we can both see it like so differently. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious if you are listening to this and what did you see? How do you see that? And I know most of you probably have already read The Dark Tower, so like you probably agree with Kim. Um,
0: Well, and... Yeah, I think that that...
1: That's the thing, too, is it's probably is thing explained that I have, in further on.
0: I have more information I than you have, and doubt- so I... Yeah,
1: if his guns were turning into an eye and a hand later on in the book, you'd be like, yeah, it turned. they're turning into an eye and a hand. Like, And I'd be like, oh, I wonder why. That's so interesting. But the fact that you're so against it makes me really feel like probably not. Um And, you know, from this point on, he just kills everyone. And it's right. really great, and it's really well done. We get some interesting little uh, pictures here. Um and
0: he followed the trail of death counting as he went in the general store one man sprawled with his arms wrapped lovingly around the cracked candy jar he had dragged down with him he ended up where he had started in the middle of the deserted main street he had shot and killed 39 men 14 women and five children he had shot and killed everyone in tull
1: Why does it stand out to you so much why do you like it so much
0: well you know that just it just makes it really real you know not only did he do it he did it and didn't walk away from it he took a tally of of the destruction that he had done and then went back into the saloon and had something to eat and had something to drink and waited for the storm to blow over so that he could leave safely.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, you, I don't feel like you're going to use the act of self-preservation and murder 40 people and then be like, all right, now I'm going to go risk my life in the storm. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Uh, no, and it's really, I love the way that the, it's all just written because he really takes his time with each individual no-name person to murder them and so you know instead of just you know and then he kills everyone in town you know it's every single person that we just had heard about slightly is murdered in significance and for i think that's cool to see about roland is you know he's taking all these lives because they are in his way yes but also you know it's because he wants to accomplish his goal and they aren't just meaningless to him he, right. he's got a almost i'm sure there's no regret there's no r- raggerts in his system but he's <laughs> definitely feels remorse for what he did i'm sure he doesn't yeah, enjoy th- that
0: yeah i agree i don't think that you know he is just a killing machine but he is in some ways a machine with one purpose you know right now well with one ultimate purpose. His ultimate purpose is to get to the tower. Right now, it's to get to the man in black. And, you know, the man in black expected these, you know, 50 people that he killed, the 39 men, 14 women, and five kids, to stop him, possibly, but definitely slow him down. Um,
1: I doubt Randy expected him to be stopped here. You oh, know? Yeah,
0: probably not stopped, but I, I feel like slowed down
1: yeah so he waits for the storm to blow over he does everything and then uh you know he leaves town the next day and for the reader then we just go into the next chapter and it's like we were talking about earlier we're just slowly coming out of these stories so we came out right. of ali's story and we saw roland murder everyone now we come out of roland's story to brown and brown you know he's it's almost uh brown seems kind of like he's the the second part of the trap from the dark man, you know, it's not that he is a uh, a curse or like anything that's going to like actually like hurt Roland. It's almost like he just forces him to relive it, to acknowledge what he's done.
0: Right. Right. And, I, and, and I again, I slow him down a little bit.
1: Yeah, and especially Zoltan, you know, with the raven crow head, like, you know, there's a little bit, there's a lot of significance with the dark man and crows, we already know. And I'm sure at this point in Stephen King's life, when he's 19, he already had to have had that fascination with crows for them to become such a a standard in everything he writes. So I'm sure, like, that overarching theme was probably like, crows evil. I'm interested to see where, if Zoltan comes back. (laughs) Uh, And,. Then at the end of this section, he just, he goes on. Right, um,
0: yeah.
1: I really like, we talked about this though uh, when we were going through the recap. I really liked this last, uh, the world had moved on. The gunslinger shouldered his gun and moved on with it. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, I really liked, uh, that's a good ending for that section. Just like it's a, I can imagine if I was coming out piece by piece, you know, this is a good individual short story too.
0: Yeah, it, it's yeah. a it's a good cliffhanger of sorts, but not too much. I mean, it leaves you wanting to know what's going to happen next, where he's going to go next, but not necessarily like.
1: It's like an episode of in a, a TV suspense. show. Yeah. You yeah. know, it, it finished off the episode story, but we still have the overarching story to deal with. And it's interesting and I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah. Um, so chapter two is called The Way Station. And it starts off with uh, the nursery rhyme. I was just thinking, I wonder, like, I really just want to hold on real quick. Just as, like, individually, like, the story of Gunslinger, I feel like, since it's, like, five individual short stories. This first mm-hmm. short story, I really like it a lot. I think it was really, really great. Um, when I was reading it the first time... I really was thinking that we weren't gonna get any backstory for Roland throughout this, you know. I was thinking he was gonna be a lot more mysterious, but then immediately in the way station we get this, you know, hanging story. Um, so I was right. immediately like taken aback by that. I was I thought it was really cool that this really mysterious character would just get all this information about. But in the gunslinger, he's so he's he really reminds me like uh, you know, uh, have you ever seen Tombstone?
0: Yep. Kurt Russell.
1: Kurt Russell, thank you. He's playing Wyatt Earp in that movie. I remembered Wyatt Earp. I just couldn't remember Kurt Russell. And like, he's just, you don't know a lot about him. Like at the beginning of it, he's just incredible at the OK Corral shootout. And you're just like, OK, what is going to, OK, just what else is going to happen from here? And I feel like for me, this gave me a similar vibe to that. And I know Tombstone came out like 20 years after this, too. So I'm sure this is more like inspired by like actual spaghetti westerns of the 1940s and 50s, which I don't actually know any of. Uh, You know, I have like the vague understanding and idea, but the fact yeah, I always
0: think of like um, the good, the bad, and the ugly.
1: Yeah, like I Clint Eastwood, Mm -hmm.
0: but you know, and and we haven't gotten a physical description really of Roland yet, not of him we got a description of his clothes and things but not him and as we get into this not in this book but further on you'll understand why clint eastwood is the picture i make in my head um
1: no i it makes i also like i've seen like um as I've done like some little research, as I couldn't read anymore, uh, I saw like some artists like renditions of Roland, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's interesting. Like so, we get into chapter two, the gunslinger, uh, which is called the Waystation. Like we'd already said, um, and it starts off with this little nursery rhyme, and you know, the nursery rhyme. I don't think it really means anything in particular, like of it in and of itself. I think it's just particular that he's remembering things from his childhood
0: yeah i think that it it um uh, is really to show you just how um how he is regressed by being by himself and you know being hungry and thirsty and you know well, and i don't it know says if we can the...
1: say regressed because in if that was the case we would have to know where he came from and we don't know a starting point this is just him so there's no well, regression for me as a first-time reader. This is but, just but how a, Roland thinks. Roland but it's just, a
0: nursery rhyme. He is a, a grown adult man, and he is
1: and, like, singing now, a nursery
0: rhyme in his head.
1: And that's Roland for me. Like I don't think that has. I think that's just like what he's thinking about when he's bored and lonely. Like I don't think that shows regression. Because I mean, even in the last one, when he's starting the fire, he's talking, he's singing the little, uh, uh, childhood chant. Yeah. He's, he's got a lot of his, like, he pretty much, I mean, if you look at it traumatically, when he was 13, he accidentally killed a man and he lost his childhood at that point. At that point, he was forced to grow up because he had to experience like what he did as like you, a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. forces children to grow up when they're 12, 13, and so he didn't get his childhood the way that he traditionally would have wanted. He didn't, like, even, like, when we meet him as a kid, he's being trained and hit. Like, it's not a good... He doesn't actually get much of a childhood. So it makes sense That's that true. as an adult, he clings to those small childhood the, rituals. Those, those right, little those rituals and those things, comforts. Because he didn't get Because them. those are
0: things that he got from his mom, and he didn't get a whole lot of those things. So, yeah, uh, I see
1: that. So I think that, like, I don't think it shows regression. I just think that it shows he is a deeper individual than the first story would let you believe. If in that first story, he just seems like a murderous rampage, you know, and scene going on a murderous rampage, and then in the second story, we immediately started with a nursery rhyme, it just, it, that juxtaposition really shows us like, oh, okay, like, There's he's a got a, more, a lot more guy. layers. Exactly, yeah, and I think that that is what it showed me, at least. Um, and I think it also, like, he talks later on in this story. Like, actually, I think it's in this section. Yeah. He says um, that he just hadn't talked about, thought about his childhood this much in, like, years. And so it's maybe it is regression, too, then, in that way that, like, he's starting to break down those old barriers of, like, right. you know, when you're alone and you have that introspection thought and you're able to sit there and, like, really examine yourself. It brings out different things than when you're constantly busy with chasing people and fighting through traps.
0: Well, and that's, you know, something that we talked about in The Stand as well, when they left everything behind, how how stripped down they were and how that woke up some new things. And I, I feel like that this is a similar thing, only I think for Roland, it's taking him back to this childhood comfort that he didn't have for as long as, you know, somebody who was not in his station Would have had because he got to a certain age and he wasn't allowed to, you know, hang out with his mom and and have those soft
1: times. Um, He had to
0: become a man.
1: Yeah. And I think that uh, has made him this uh, closed off person that we're like seeing now. It's like person that just doesn't share much and isn't trying to share much. Um, and it's fun because in the middle of this, like he's having all of this thought, like we are, we're just thinking about him as a person and a character and everything. And then the dark man's there and he sees him in the distance and he starts sprinting after him. Uh, and he gets up there and he kicks through a fence and he just, and he says like, he's a quarter mile, not even trying to hide himself, just running at him. And he Mm -hmm. brings up his guns and he's like, I gotcha. I gotcha. You're covered. You're covered. Uh, And then he goes, and I, all of a sudden, uh, what is it? He raises it again. He sucked the white hair and hung his head for a moment. Yeah, I thought for a second he shot at him, and I was like, no, that's not what I remembered. But, um, right. He brings his boys, and the person that he sees flips around, and he realizes that it's a little boy. And he, like, right. Oh, you know, I mean, obviously, he scares the heck out of this kid.
0: I'm sure, yeah. And, you know, and then he's like, it says he, he shook his head in negation, like, no, no, this cannot possibly be.
1: Just the fact that, you know, he's got, got by that mirage. And then he's, mm-hmm. you know, it's very interesting, too, because he sees that illusion. But then also all of these things are real, too. So it's right. a very odd mirage, to say the least. Um, he uh, puts his guns away and he just uh, goes off to sleep, you know.
0: Well, he, he passes out.
1: Well, yeah, he did just, like, run yeah, I mean, half he, he a mile. Yeah, I mean, he has a...
0: Right, and he has he has heat stroke and passes out, basically. You know, and then...
1: You know, okay, that makes sense. It's just the way that it said, like, he re-holstered his guns and, like, went over... It fell over on his face. I realize now that that means he had passed out. He woke up, and then the boy had taken care of him, and that's why he has that trust for the boy. Just so right, intrinsically. You know, he could have been stabbed to death and killed but instead the little boy like rolled him on his back and like started taking care of him right um and he says you know and and
0: brought him water and you know just just did the things
1: uh and he says uh his name is John Chambers but you can call him Jake Mm -hmm. um I have a friend well sort of a friend she works for us you know that first line immediately you're like oh okay like I know what kind of kid this is immediately. Um, not that like it's a good or a bad thing, but you can tell the type of life he lived and whether or not right. he's a good person or a bad person kind of depends on like, you know, his upbringing and his parents and him as a person and kind of the media you watch nowadays, but for the most part, you just immediately you learn a lot in that one line that he says. And I think that Yeah, like, you do. Stephen King you know, really good his, about
0: that. That his friend that his his friend his first friend that he thinks of is not a friend his age. It's not it's not even really a friend. It's somebody who works for his family. And and it's just to me, that is super sad that his the the friend that works for him has given him a nickname.
1: Yeah. Who calls me Bama sometimes? Uh, Like Alabama, I imagine, you know? Like, yeah. yeah. I don't really know what it could mean right now, but I'm sure we'll find out. I'm sure it could also just literally mean nothing. Um, So he goes off and gets some water for Roland, brings in some water, and, you know, we find out that the dark man had slept there uh, the night before. And Jake mm-hmm. didn't like him, so he hid behind from him, and he would have hid from Roland, but uh, he was asleep. Um, I thought you were going. Uh, no, what's what is it? I would have hid from you, but I was sleeping when you came. But I was when, you, when you got here. Yep. So like, he heard him, woke up, and then he came out to investigate, and that's when Roland saw him and passed out. I imagine, um, or and. Uh, i think
0: that he i think that roland woke him up when he started yelling at him
1: oh because i figured that the moved restlessly and stood up oh okay he was never cool uh and uh he says that he was scared that it was the dark man and he calls him a priest again Um, Mm -hmm. and he was wearing a black hood and a cassock like a robe dress how long ago Uh, I don't know. And he says, two or three weeks ago, I don't know, like three poops ago. I thought it was funny that that's how he's been telling time now. Uh, And, I mean, it makes sense. Like, you know, that's some of the only, like, mechanical things that you can keep track of.
0: Yeah, and when, you know, you don't have – I mean, all you've got is the day and night cycle. And unless you are, you know, making tally marks sometimes when there's no other – point of reference it's hard to keep track of the number of those and you know brown told us that time was weird
1: yeah time doesn't here. work the same it, seems. it
0: doesn't work the same so
1: which that's why like i'm telling you there's a lot of time travel going on in here randy flight can mm-hmm. time travel so um you know we get these fun moments where this is pretty much like we had talked about jake is the reader in the story. He, it is Stephen King's chance to explain to someone that's not from this world things about this world, right. while simultaneously we get to see how our main character that we're starting to fall in love with reacts to things from our world. So how does he react right. to TV channels and like um, all of these different things that he brings up? Uh, And it's interesting too because like you like we talk about now there's so many different ways that these worlds touch so it's fun because like we get these little parts where he's like tv and he's talking about the statue of liberty and uh you know but uh you know and then also just to like prove my point a little bit more even roland remembers two more uh little nursery rhymes from his mother
0: Mm -hmm. and i think
1: they're also important now because you know uh Jake can't remember how he dies or anything, or at least he says he can't remember. And then in right. this next part, we get a first-hand account of exactly how, what happened and how we ended up in this world. And I was saying die, but we don't know that as the reader yet. Um, so we read through this next section, and it's all through Jake's point of view, him going down to the stairs, and then Randy comes through and he kills him, pushes him out into traffic, and mm-hmm. then... Um, <laughs> he also at the same time he's like guys get out of the way i'm a priest let me take care of him i got this and he runs over and then in that moment i imagine is when he teleports jake into uh the dark tower at least his soul his ka i think right into yep. the world there and then jake dies um and uh you know, jake didn't like go to sleep and traditionally remember this we'd find out now in this next section in chapter four section four that the gunslinger can hypnotize people and you know we had had a hint of that in the first chapter when he hypnotized and asked everyone to leave but now it's called we find out that it's called hoken hypnotizes him he tells him how he died and everything Um,
0: right and like in detail
1: it's like an amount of detail that you don't normally wouldn't remember like i wouldn't remember about a regular day either Um, right
0: but you know with with him being able to kind of tap into jake's subconscious we get all the details we get you know what he's carrying in his backpack and what he his the housekeeper his friend greta had made him for lunch and what the kitchen looked like and um the books and you know that his father worked for a tv network we get so many details
1: yeah, and you know he even tries to explain uh, how can, how can that's what it's called h o w k e n, um, and uh, um, when he wakes up he asks Jake, do you want to remember all of this? And he says no, I don't. And so he's like, okay, when you wake up, you won't remember this, which is a nice like, you know, at, in the same way that we'll watch Roland decimate an entire town, he at the will also like be conscious and kind enough to like help this little boy not have to remember all that trauma right um Jake tells him that there is a cellar and in that cellar there is some food um and uh but he hasn't gone down there because it's too dark and he's scared of it he's scared of it yeah yeah Roland's like okay cool we'll go down there tomorrow and he goes to like all right, let's go to bed and he goes to go sleep in the stable and then Jake's like um Roland can I sleep with you and he's like yeah that's fine and Mm -hmm immediately you you're just their bond is being made real deep it's going to be like this is going to be like his this is his achilles heel like this is going to be his biggest weakness like right now that i can tell like um that is like probably his memories of his past like those seem to be a pretty big weakness right now too right um not weakness but something that someone could use against him a vulnerability of sorts yeah
0: a vulnerability—that's a better word, because I don't know that these things ne- don't necessarily make him weak, but but definitely soft spots. Yeah.
1: Um, so Roland goes down into this cellar, right? And mm-hmm. he gets down in there, and the first thing he notices is these giant mutant spiders, um, which is interesting for a couple of reasons worldwide because it tells me either one there's been you know maybe this is like the world way after the stand and like you know post-apocalyptically like nuclear waste everywhere and it's like mutated these spiders or it's just quite literally been millions thousands hundreds of years long enough that these spiders have been able to grow and mutate to be this big you know so that we we end up knowing that this world has either been completely decimated and like changed in a way that like, it's changing the people and things in it, or Mm -hmm. it's been so long that like anything that could have been recognizably uh, swapped with our world is now different, completely different.
0: Right. Right. Just, you know, the further away you get from the original, the more chance for, uh, changes and mistakes to happen you know mutation doesn't necessarily have to be triggered by an outside occurrence it could just be you know millions of generations of genetics and and things yeah. have just gotten weird yep. so
1: um and uh They decide that after, uh, while he's down there, he hears this groaning. It's almost like a breathing, and the cellar itself is like groaning and breathing. And it starts getting louder and louder and louder. Um, And Jake screams, and he he just starts to freak out. And he's like, Roland, Jesus, mister, come on up, come up, come up. And uh, Roland says, no, go. Uh, If I don't come up in 200, no, 300, get the heck out of here. Yeah. And Jake runs away and Roland turns around and he says, who are you? And nothing answers. So then he says again in in the high speech, man, I wish I had a better name than high speech, but whatever.
0: Right. But that's what it.
1: Galadian. Like that would have been a good <laughs> word for it. Right. Whatever. You were about to say something and you stopped yeah, yourself. I was going to say, well, yeah. Um, I mean,
0: it, Gilead is like. A state or a, a region, so I feel like that.
1: Um, it's more like a accent.
0: Um, it's more like a dialect, I think.
1: So, like, what a that would formal mean if, dialect? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, just to like explain, like, for people that don't, so I feel like oh. we really understand the difference between an a- a accent and a dialect, but mm-hmm. an accent would be when you are generalizing the sounds and the act and speeches and tones of, a ge- of an, an area, whereas a dialect is when you get very specific about the specific regions inside of that area. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, a lot of Shakespeare, if you've ever listened to classical Shakespeare, like Kenneth Branagh in the 80s and 90s, they do what's called received pronunciation which is a really high, fancy way of talking English. And what we do now in America is just modern English. Basic, boring, like, this is what we learn to talk. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and even in America, we have different dialects. You could speak Southern, you can speak Northern, you can speak uh, Chicago, and you can speak Boston. You know, right. we have all of our different dialects in America, but we also have an American accent that we see, you know, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch do when he's playing Doctor Strange poorly I mean for every one okay Benedict Cumberbatch there's a thousand terrible American actors that do a bad British I mean, accent
0: that's true
1: but that's I think it's true. also just you know quality quantity you know there's only a hundred, couple million people in Amer- in UK there's only a couple million people in the UK and there's hundreds of millions of people here in America well
0: that and you know there's a difference between american english and british english and australian english you know it's all the same basic language but there are words that mean different things in each of those places anyway, <laughs> the high um, speech is is just it's it's formal that so makes sense. it's commanding and like we talked about it a little you know just a little bit ago about how it may be like somebody coming in and speaking latin now
1: um just pretentious <laughs> yeah and uh almost pretentious but also uh like you would said commanding though i think it uh, mm-hmm. like inspires leadership from when he must like open his mouth and use it because it sounds so much more it sounds foreign and powerful yeah um so uh he who are reaches you, out demon? and he's, he says who are you and then the demon says, go slow past the drawers, gunslinger, watch for the tahin. While you travel with the boy, the man in black travels with your soul in his pocket. And we had talked about this just a few minutes ago, so we don't have to go too deep into this one. Because we kind of, di- like, mm-hmm. we did dissect this. But like I said earlier, I'm pretty sure the drawers have got to be these, the name of these mountains. And the context clues I have for that are, um, it is a proper noun because it's capitalized. Right um and we also know uh uh man um somebody in the last section in the town said that uh you had to go slowly past the mountains uh right. and to be careful going it was uh kennerly the kennel yeah, the, person
0: the, uh, no, stable kennerly, master.
1: the stable master kennel right. uh duh um <laughs> yeah right 19 year old naming and uh he put all of his effort into Roland Duchesne. Uh, Duchesne, that's, yeah. That's a good name right there. It
0: is good. It is.
1: Um, you know, mountains. I don't know what a tahine is, so I'm interested to know what that is. And that's a new word that's invented for this, I imagine. Or it's just an mm-hmm. old word that I'm too dumb to know. And um, I'm pretty
0: sure it's a new word invented for this. I've never no. run across oh, it anywhere okay. else. So. Well, but I'm not going to tell you where it is. Stephen
1: King, <laughs> Dr. Seuss, man. Well, sure. Uh, <laughs> while you travel with the boy, the man in black travels with your soul in his pocket. That's the most obvious line out of all of them, you know? Right, you, you, absolutely. You got connected, ha ha, gotcha, welcome to the trap. Right, um,
0: and, and I think that it's important that, you know, uh, prophecies don't have to be super complicated or long or crazy. I mean, I you know, this is a very short segment, but this is really, he knows it's a prophecy. Because the dead don't lie.
1: Take the dead from the dead, an old proverb said. Only a corpse may speak true prophecy. So he goes over to the wall and he starts punching it. And he uh, punches through it until he gets into the uh, like the foundation, like the gravel and the dirt and such. And he mm-hmm. digs into it and he finds um, some bones. Um, so it pretty much confirms for him that there was a dead person that reached out from the afterlife in that moment and like, gave that prophecy and it doesn't have to for me it didn't mean it was specifically that dead person it just meant that a dead thing had to be nearby for that prophecy to be spoken through
0: i i agree yeah so
1: so like that person could have been like anyone to me i i probably like imagine it makes me think it's like one of roland's dad or like cuthbert or like one of the characters we're about to meet here and that's why it's so i don't think it's coincidental that we're meeting a demon pro- that's giving him a, we he we only think it's a demon because Roland says it's a demon but we right. don't this thing that gives him this prophecy that is watching over him and then immediately we get this flashback of like what seems to be one of the most important moments in Roland's childhood.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That is not that is I see through this, Stephen. I see through this. that is there is no way this is coincidental. Um so we finish that they keep walking out um they sit down and jake has a uh, he's about to have he's pretty much about to like have a heat stroke and fall on his feet because he's mm-hmm. not like taking a break he's not drinking water he's not asking for help or saying anything
0: right right they they just are trying to keep moving and reserve or conserve their resources so jake is like nope if he can go that long i can go that long <laughs>
1: And, um, he eventually like needs to take a break and he sits him down and he starts talking and, uh, you know, it's really interesting. I love this part because it, he says, uh, uh, when I was your age, I lived in a walled city. So like we're starting to get these little hints about Roland's childhood and I was super into it when it was happening cause I was never, I wasn't expecting this flashback. So I was like really like taking note of these cause I wanted to like get this image of it and mm-hmm. walled city. And he says, and, um, but I didn't see him together. No, this bad man, he was a wizard. Martin is his name. He was a wizard, like Merlin. Do, the, you, do you ken Merlin where you come from? And I was like, hold on a second. So you're saying the story of Merlin is going to be a story that touches both of these. I don't think that's going to be just because Merlin is a person, like a cool story that touches both of them. And I, I think it's going to be he is a person that is a wizard in both of them. He is obviously important in both of them. Merlin could have been Randy Flagg is what I've been thinking. But we'll see um and i think all of this because the gunslinger says yes arthur Eld, you say it true i say thank you i was very and so he it, he almost talks like he knew king arthur and he's like yeah right. yeah yeah, arthur Eld, yeah i remember that kid oh wild that he pulled excalibur am i right and it's just like okay <laughs> roland like way to casually name drop the most important <laughs> british king in like l- legend ever yeah. <laughs> right um um, when I snap my fingers he wake up fresh and rested um, and uh, oh he did it right here and the, he twirled twirled the bullets in his, from mm-hmm. his belt and twirled it how can, between his fingers and uh, you know he hypnotizes him puts him to sleep gets a little bit more information out of the world that he comes from and then he says you're gonna fall asleep for 15 minutes and when you wake up you're gonna feel fresh and rested and I was like I wish I had that power can he? Right? Can he hypnotize himself in that way, and just fall asleep for fifteen and like feel fresh and rested? Can you hypnotize yourself and just feel super strength? Could you hypnotize yourself? Like, what? What are the limits of this? How can and why is it not being exploited at every single moment at all times?
0: I mean, what, I would you, totally could, love to be able to just put myself to sleep for a fifteen-minute nap and. Start fresh again. That would be amazing. Why
1: doesn't he just hypnotize Jake to just not be tired with him? Because it makes me feel like that's probably how he was able to not have thirst and everything in the first one. You know, he probably used the alcan a little bit.
0: Like maybe, but I feel like that part of that is, is that he had, he, it's like uh, running a marathon. He had trained his body to do that. And he can't just make Jake's body be toughened to those circumstances with it jake actually still has to his body's not strong enough for that
1: i just think that that roland's being too nice you just gotta work you, you got stuff to do there is a dark man to catch and you're just well, right, But you can't, time with this boy Ugh.
0: but you can't uh i'm just saying the dark
1: man's winning on this Force his already. body
0: you can't force his body to work harder than it's capable of
1: you can it just doesn't Like, the end result will be bad. Yeah, it just just
0: doesn't end well. Right. Um,
1: And, uh, you know, also, I think it's great. uh, You know, we haven't talked about this at all, but Roland smokes. And he Mm -hmm. always, he just rolls his own cigarettes whenever he, like, stops for a little bit. And, like, I just like that that's a little quirk that he has. That, Mm -hmm. like, he rolls his own cigarettes and sits there and smokes them. And I'm just like, wow, that is, nowadays, that's the most, like, hipster thing that you could possibly do. But I imagine, like... During the you know time when Stephen King was doing this, he was like, "Man, it's so cool when I see one of those kids just start rolling a cigarette on the quad." Man, he might have even <laughs> been rolling cigarettes on the quad and thought it was the coolest thing he did. I'm sure. Um, and I just think it's a fun like the little quirks that he has for Roland are really specific and really fun. Um, yes, and I like like the character that he's building a lot. We get into chapter eight, and the gunslinger had went. And he'd taken his sleep. He didn't go to sleep. He was waiting for, uh, you know, uh, Jake is resting right now. He's got his hypnosis mm-hmm. thing. He's kind of asleep. So the gunslinger just lays back and he's just thinking about his memories. And instead of us just like, you know, it, how it has been, us living through his like thought process of it, we actually just go transported back to
0: right yeah we get we get to be kind of on the inside of his little daydream
1: and it's really fun um one we find out he had a falcon named david i'm really Mm -hmm. like something bad is going to happen to that falcon and i'm not prepared for it uh two um we meet court and cuthbert bert is his uh it's he's about his age he's a friend of Mm -hmm. his that is also it seems to be in the gunslinger like training class like apprenticeship kind of thing yes um and court is their gunslinging master right and they live you know we don't really find out much about it but like we know from everything we had before that they live in gilead that it's a walled city and like you know there's magic and Stuff in it, and you well, know, and yeah.
0: they're they're the upper upper class. They oh, yeah, are yeah. definitely they're, not they're not your average kids. They're they're the nobility, yeah. the children of nobility.
1: And they let's talk about how like one day they're going to be expected to speak only in high speech, and mm-hmm. um, there's going to be a lot of expectations of them. So you know, to know that there are eight year olds thinking about the expectations of them in the future just really says a lot to what kind of pressure and what the parents they have would have been like telling them their responsibilities and importance are, if that makes sense. Right.
0: Yeah. The expectations that are put on these kids from an early age are, are pretty, pretty serious.
1: Yeah. And, uh, sorry, I'm just going to pop, pop. Um, that's this. Can you tell me point station stationed helped to receive though, um, So Cuthbert does, you know, um, he's pretty much, he's just a little mouthy and uh, he talks back to Court and Court's like, you can't have dinner now. And he's like, okay, fine, whatever. I don't even want dinner. And then Court leaves and uh, Roland's like, hey, I know you said that you can't have dinner, but also what if I just, you came with me and I get you dinner. And mm-hmm. he's like, okay, that's fine. Like, he, like, let's do it. So they go over to the West Kitchen, and they meet a guy named Hacks. H-A-X. Hax is the, uh, you know, and this section here, I want to just say before we go too far, is uh, it's very straightforward for the most part, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's not, not a lot, lot of, to
0: dissect here.
1: There's not a lot of hints to the outside. There's not a lot of like vagueness or things to like go through. Like, you know, the only thing that we can really dissect is like, who is the good man? That's the biggest like mystery that this gives us. Otherwise, it's just a lot. It's just to fill in some of Roland to show us yeah, whom, to where show... he comes from.
0: Yep, right, right.
1: You know, um, he goes and he meets Hax, and, you know, uh, Hacks gives them both a meal and he says, get out of here. I got some people coming. There's a guard coming. And they go out into the kitchen or out into the hallway and they're eating their dinner that he just gave them. Yeah. And this guard comes up to them.
0: Well, and they they they're like they're sitting out there and they're like, wait a minute, somebody's coming. So they go and, and hide under the stair under the stairs because they don't want to get caught. They're not supposed to be here. Hex is not supposed to have fed them. Um, so they go hide under the steps. And that's when they overhear the conversation between Hax and this guard.
1: Right. And the only thing that they... They don't hear anything at first, but they do hear poisoned meat. And that's mm-hmm. when they really tune into the conversation. And essentially, the guard has come to tell Hax that Hax needs to poison meat. Or is Hax Well, he needs the to be on the lookout.
0: They're going to... The, the guard is telling, that, telling hacks that there's going to be a shipment with poisoned meat in it that he needs to prepare to be fed.
1: Yes. Um, and it's going to be going to a place called Taunton. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that's like maybe a section of this state, like a city or something. Or it's like a completely different area, like they're at war at or something. Um, but seeing as how it's in secret and then that this guy ends up getting got for treason... I do have a, the, you know, we get the feeling that Taunton is most likely a place controlled by the place that we're in now.
0: Right, yeah. It's definitely uh, Under overseen by Under the control of Gilead. This, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and we get a, a glimpse of Hax's uh, reticence. He said there are children in Taunton. Yeah. You know, it, I, I think it's important that... You know we know that hacks is not necessarily just an evil person he just thinks he's doing what's best but he doesn't want to hurt kids
1: yeah um and you know he says the guard says this one line do you enjoy seeing children under the rule of the gun when they could be under his hands ready to start making a new world mm-hmm. and it really in that one sentence, we get the idea that the hierarchy is the gunslingers are on top right now. You know, right. they're in charge of everything. And then there is someone trying to undo all of that. And just, you know, from context clues, knowing that Roland is the last gunslinger chasing down this black man who's done something to him, that he has to show him something. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we can, we can draw a couple of conclusions yeah. and, you know, maybe it is too early for these conclusions, but they, this good man could be Randy Flagg yeah um walter o'dim randy flag goodson whatever you want to call him and uh roland and cuthbert hear all of this and they kind of just uh they're very confused and they don't understand like what's going on really they know that like they're right. very angry roland wants to go out and immediately kill hacks um
0: right you know because he's been he knows. well he's been yeah he's been trained that that and i'm sure that he's heard all the talk that the the good man or farson are, are bad and you know his friend who has fed him and you know cuz he who knows him and he put a pulse, poultice on my leg that time you know his friend he has to go tell because it feels like it's
1: he's been betrayed by him yes you know it's that sense of betrayal and he goes right, to tell his... Right, and he
0: knows what the consequence is going to be. He knows that his friend is going to die.
1: Um, and he goes to tell his father all of this, and his dad seems particularly... His dad, like, in my eyes, seems torn. It seemed like half of him was like, man, I really wish we didn't. you didn't say anything, because now we have to kill this guy. But mm-hmm. the other half of him is like, you know, it's a very but honorable. we to know. Like, it's a good thing that you did this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the conversation they have here is very interesting, just in the world that it, just in the way that it shows us how Roland was taught and trained and cared for as a child. Mm -hmm. He, he, even then with his father, it seems like his father keeps him at almost like an arm's length away. You know, he's not really given him a lot of like true full personal advice from his own experience he's just like this is what you're expect this is what's expected of you this is the world that we live in this is what your responsibilities are um and so along with those responsibilities they um bert and roland they uh, ask if they can go to see this hanging right Because they feel
0: feel like they've caught, they are the reason that it's going to happen, and so they feel like they need to witness the consequences of the action that was set in motion when they hit under when they went and got a meal that they weren't supposed to get, and hit under the steps and heard things that they weren't supposed to hear, and then they had to tell because it was the right thing to do. I mean, you, good, bad, or otherwise, if you hear treasonous speak, you, you've got to tell.
1: Right. And because they've been like that kind of responsibility of like, uh, personal responsibility of your own actions has been pounded into them so much. They feel that they need to go to this hanging as well. So the parents agree and they send them with some notes to court to, so it's like basically like they get out of school for the day to go to the hanging they go early to go see everything Um, when they go to court court goes and gives a piece of bread and he breaks it in half and he gives each of them a piece of bread and he says put this under his feet when it's done and so you know that's the first hint that we kind of get at like what's going to be going down and like what's going to be happening Um, but it's interesting too because it's like what is this bread for like what are they going to do for it and Immediately as they get to the gallows, it's obvious what the bread is for. Because Mm -hmm. it's described as a scene where on top of this giant hill is this platform with hundreds of birds sitting there just waiting, and there's bird droppings on plastered over everything, and it smells terrible. Um and Roland and Bert are the first ones there. Yeah. And then they go up to it. Um, well, Bert has to be convinced a little bit. He is definitely not as brave as Roland. Um, and he's definitely not around anymore. So, I mean, or at least we don't think he's around anymore. So we'll see if that is the case. Uh, you know, and I think that like, you know, in everything ever, if you know you're the last Jedi, you're the last airbender, you're not actually ever the last, no one Mm -hmm. will ever believe you're the last. There's definitely some hidden cousin that's off hiding in a cavern somewhere that's been trained for 15 (laughs) years by your uncle. Like, Ashoka Tano is definitely out there. Like, you're not the last anything. Um, So, I'm there's no way that Roland is the last gunslinger. And if he is the last gunslinger at this point, it's his fault if he's thousands of years old. Like, train someone else. Like, (laughs) come on. Uh, So, but back to the point here. Um, They get up there and uh, Roland takes this piece, uh, I'm sure. Like a splinter. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything probably in the overall story. But I thought it was important because it showed me that Roland likes keepsakes. He likes physical attachments to things. He likes memories like that. Yeah. You know? I I Um, mean, I
0: feel like that he got that so that he would have, you know, every time he reached into his bag and he felt it, he'd have that reminder of.
1: The first kill pretty much right well and then also the way he the way he lovingly talks about his father's guns Mm -hmm. and the way he talks about some of his possessions you know you get like a sense that some of them are really important and he takes so much love and care for him and then some of them are water skins that he throws off to the side that he doesn't care about anymore you know
0: you know that it's an heirloom that has been mm-hmm. passed down from father to son to father to son
1: and i think showing that materialistic nature in him is an interesting character trait and it's in cool way that he's that steve shows it to us mm-hmm. um he they watch the hanging and you know uh it's you know confusing and sad in a way because you can tell that everyone in the area didn't want to kill hacks because they didn't feel like they, he deserved it, I guess. They felt like the, some pity. And he says this one line about, uh, I have nothing to confess. I have not forgotten my father's face. It has gotten me through all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, like, you know, it makes me think, like, maybe his father was part of an uprising and something and got put well, down. and... There's just so much history the, here that we don't know right, about.
0: Right. The the I have forgotten I have not forgotten my father's face. You'll learn that that is part of um the religion? No, I don't religion's not really the right word, but it's like saying that I've not gone astray. You know, I I know that what I'm doing is I feel like what I'm doing is right. Even if you feel like it's wrong, because I have not forgotten where I came from, um, you know, and I think that that says a lot about, uh, you know, hacks. He he, truly believed that he was doing the right thing, even though it was against his current.
1: Well, I think that that's something that Stephen King has always, well, at least always for me, he, then consistently portrayed is that even villains have their convictions yes you know like they're doing things not because they want to tr- like except for randy even he, he even is doing it because he just wants to have a child but
0: right well they're not all chaotic they're lawful bad
1: yeah they're you know, lawful
0: evil you
1: know they have you know these strict it. rules that they follow because that's what they see the world as and that's what they exactly. think it should be right um so they uh, get the kill in And uh, they put the bread underneath the bird, underneath the feet. And as soon as they do, a couple of birds come down and they start biting at it. Then they walk a couple of feet away and they turn around and literally all of the birds have swarmed this man's body. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, there's this scene uh, right at the end. Cuthbert says he liked it. He did. And, you know, you can tell that it's just him lying to himself to feel better about what just happened.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And uh, Roland, this part is important because, you know, this last paragraph, there's, you know, there's two big Mm -hmm. clues here in this section. Um, At the end of chapter, or section eight, it says, Some years later, Susan would tell him the story of Oedipus, and he would absorb it in quiet thoughtfulness, thinking of the odd and bloody triangle formed by his father, his mother, and by Martin, known Mm -hmm. in some quarters as Farson, the good man. Or perhaps it was a quadrangle, if one wished to add himself. And right. then at the end of this section, which is section 12, it says The land did not fall to the good man for another five years. And by that time, Roland was a gunslinger, his father was dead, and he himself had become a matricide, and the world had moved on. A matricide is someone who kills their mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and the long years and long rides had begun. Uh, so we know that in the next five years, he's going to become a gunslinger. The dark man is going to take over. His father's going to die and he's going to kill his mother. Right. So there is a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff is going to happen in that five years that is going to definitely traumatize an eight to 13 year old,
0: Right. Uh, Absolutely. A lot.
1: And so, you know, even now, like when I was talking about all of those traumas, like forcing him to like stay a little bit of kid inside of his heart. You know, I think that after reading all of that, it's even more apparent that oh yeah, absolutely, any single tiny little part of him that could cling to like the small innocent child that he was in those moments, he keeps. You know, the little uh, nursery rhymes and the small like little moments of with Cuthbert, like you know, holding mm-hmm. his hand. You know, he remembers this probably because of Cuthbert and you know, and everything. You know, it's really it's right. good. He wakes up, Jake wakes up, and he says, look, pointing up at the mountains. And he's like, what's that? And he's like, is that him? And you can just barely see a little dot climbing up the mountains. And he's like, that's him. We got to get him. And he's like, do you think we're going to catch him? And he's like, not on this side, probably on the other side. And he's like, okay, let's go. And then they take off. Um, and, uh, you know, ex- this at the very end of it, um, we, you know, we get, ugh. At the very end of it, he mentions something, again, called Ka. And mm-hmm. I know Ka uh, from mythology as the Egyptians' like, thought of the soul and like the way that it, your soul was imbued into everything around you and into the world and into the other people and all of these things. And so I feel that it's probably a similar vibe that he's going for here um, in the way that he talks about how Ka in everything. Um, yeah. And so, except perhaps the road to the tower, there Ka might show its true face. I like that he personifies it in this, though. I'm interested mm-hmm. to see like, if it is like a person or like a thing or like a, a, an entity that we get to see. Um, the boy, the sacrifice, his face innocent and very young in the light of the tiny fire, had fallen asleep over his beans. The gunslinger covered him with the horse blanket and then curled up to sleep himself. So the boy... The sacrifice is a very interesting line, um, and that's where I had to stop reading. And I, yeah. as soon as we're done recording, I'll probably start reading more. I'm um, sure you will. It's yeah, no, I really, really love this book. Like I'm, I'm not kidding when I say this. will probably end up being my favorite, and I'll reread it again. I've already reread this section once because I enjoyed it. Yeah, it, and it's that's great. No, it's really, really cool, and I think like,
0: oh, and there's a lot to. In some ways, this. This part is really vague. We don't get a whole ton of information, but in, there's other things that we get a lot of out of this. Um, but there's so much more to come. There's so much more to come.
1: I would hope so. There's, you know, seven more chapters, there are seven more books, projections for the rest of this book, right? Yep. I feel like, <clears throat> I know the next chapter is called The Oracle in the Mountains. And then we have, let's see, I'm going to look at the chapters the slow mutants the gunslinger and the man in black so if he does not catch up to the man in black uh, at the end of this section or at the end of this book I would say that at the end of this book we're going to get at least partial flashback of the five years of when all of that stuff went down um I think with how, like, slow that section was, the slow mutant section is probably going to be pretty, like, action-packed. Okay. Because I think the oracle in the mountain section is going to be an oracle giving more prophecies. Like, you know, I think he's going to be climbing the mountain. There's probably going to be, like, a mess-up or something. Um, You know, in Greece, they used to have to bring virgins to the oracles to sacrifice them to get the prophecies from gods so if he's bringing this virgin boy jake up into the mountains you know you you, you could if you're following other mythologies like stephen king seems to be you could draw the conclusion that maybe he's going to sacrifice this kid on the top of the mountains to get some prophecy yes uh so we'll see if that's gonna happen or not
0: i feel like that's accurate
1: um i really hope uh you know I feel like the most interesting thing is anything that I want to find out from these last couple of chapters, I don't think I'm going to find out in this book. I think it's going to be like maybe like three or four books before I even find out anything. So I'm interested to see what else it sets up. Because right now, I don't think I can make predictions as much as I want to. I think that... Uh, you know, Randy obviously somehow is going to have tricked him into killing his mom. I know that much. I don't think he would have just killed his mom. And I think he feels like regret and remorse about it. So I feel like he's definitely figured out the trick at this point, too. So that's wild and interesting. Um, Cuthbert's dead. And he seems like such a good kid. And like they seem like they had such a good bond. So I have a real strong feeling that Cuthbert's going to end up working for uh, Randy, like, a real strong feeling. Um, and it's just going to be such a betrayal for Rollins because he's going to just have these strict, rigid, like, this is right, this is wrong. Um, I think that uh, we'll probably see a flashback with Sheb. I don't know. Like, no, we won't. I don't think we'll get that uh, high-seeds, amazious um, thing yet. Man, there's so much that could happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, and there there are, you know, six... Main More series books. books after this, plus a couple of things that are uh, adjacent. Well, that are are direct stories, but aren't necessarily in the direct like line.
1: Other characters. Well, or are they still about Roland?
0: They're they're still about Roland, but they aren't necessarily in the direct line of the main
1: series. Oh, okay, so they're like, uh, like one shots. Like yeah, yeah. Like, Okay. Um, yeah. That's. Cool, that's awesome. I love to see that. I love. I'm excited about reading more of these. Um, yeah, predictions. I suspect for this book. that. He I suspect will...
0: that we'll read these, and record them, before we're actually ready to put them on the podcast. Because <laughs> I feel like you're not gonna. I'll just want to get through. Yeah, yeah. You're not gonna want to stop.
1: <laughs> um, predictions for this book, then, just strictly this one. I think he's gonna get over the mountains. Obviously, I think he's gonna. His, his thought is going to be to sacrifice Jake and Jake is going to, he's going to either save him again on the mountains or he's going to do something that's so invaluable that he just can't sacrifice him. And they're going to get over the mountains. Maybe they're going to uh, go to another town or something. And the slow mutants makes me think that there's just going to be like a, a, maybe a group of people that are just have slowed down and like, they have to like be there and communicate with them. I don't know. I'm interested to see like what that means. Um, uh, And slow, maybe I'm just taking that way too literally, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Man in Black and the Gunslinger, I think it's either going to be a chapter totally about their history, or it's going to be a chapter about um, them meeting back up. And I'd love to see, you know, I'm sitting here thinking that, you know, the Man in Black is just, he's going to be chased throughout the whole series but like there's a decent chance he catches him right now and that like we're just getting the end of the series and we're about to like be popped back in through his journey and like hear more about it um you know uh (laughs) and I think that that could be an interesting way to like set it up you know like this is where Roland ends up and if at the end of the Gunslinger you know he kills the black the man in black or you know he sends him uh to the middle of the desert in 1992 on accident uh you know, who knows?
0: Right. Do There's, think, that's, those are all some very... Um...
1: I don't think Jake is going to die. I think Roland will mean to sacrifice Jake, and then he will not sacrifice Jake. Unless I am really underestimating how sympathetic Roland is. And if Roland just straight up mercs this little boy, I am going to love him so much. I'm going to be so into this series. And I know you might be sitting there as a listener thinking auto that's something you'd enjoy that seems like a little messed up I would only enjoy it because it would be such an interesting character arc and it would be so it would be such an interesting story like why what did you do that for what's going to happen next where are we taking this why did you do that is this man really that important that you're murking 8 year olds like we've already seen him kill a bunch of kids so is Jake special enough he's then. not going to get killed I'm. yeah we're I'm too far into this Um, (laughs) Thank you for listening My name is Otto Mullins
0: And I'm Kim Payne
1: This has been my first time through We hope you enjoyed yours Otto, Kim, that was incredibly interesting Great job today If you would like to support First Time Through You can follow us on Facebook Like us on Twitter Or send us an email at FirstTimeThroughPodcast at gmail.com you can also become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash first time through to get exclusive early access, to get exclusive videos, and to become our exclusive friends. If that's interested to you, I'm interested.
0: First Time Through, New Eyes on Castle Rock is produced by Empty Theater Productions, it Was created by Kim Payne and Otto Mullins, editing by Otto Mullins, music by Jason Rager, Art by Kurt Payne at Who Knew Art.